0: My fellow Westorians, welcome back to Valor Reread Us for Dunkin' Egg, our wrap up, our full series review. Let's see what today brings us. Hey, my fellow Westorians. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust.
1: Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions.
0: Disney and Pixar's Inside Out Two.
1: There's a part two.
0: We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them
2: to our land. <laughs> An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end,
1: what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now
0: with Game Pass. One thing today won't bring us is our scheduled guest. (laughs) Unfortunately, Hmm. Stefan came down with a head cold. And if you've ever tried to podcast or just speak at length, or do a lot of things, really. Most things are a lot worse with a head cold, but especially talking and thinking and having to sit upright and things like that. So we wish him a happy, speedy recovery, and we'll get back with him another time for some kind of collaboration. In fact, I did uh, an episode over on his show discussing things like the great next few months of sci-fi fantasy television that is the end of 2021 and well it's very exciting all the the great stuff that's coming so Stefan and I had a chat about all that what it means for the industry and just all the fun stuff that we wanted to say about that so that's over on Boiled Leather Audio Hour check that out now Sean did you perhaps prepare a particularly special drink here on this last Dunkin' Egg Day or all my drinks are particularly special (laughs) that's true This one is
2: the Rainbow Machine in honor of the Rainbow Guard. Nice. Mixed with Dr. Pepper instead of Mountain Dew and also Black Cherry Sparkling Ice.
0: Dr. Pepper in in honor of some sort of Maester, I suppose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maester Eamon. Yeah. Maester, Doctor. It's the closest thing we can get, right? Maester Pepper. Maester Pepper. (laughs) There should be a Maester Pepper. We need a Maester (laughs) Pepper. And the fourth Dunkin' Egg needs the character named Maester Pepper. That is what we have to tell george that he must do and um you know whatever it takes to make that happen sam Forsythe says a grand mix you know we were calling we were talking about all the ways that people describe uh, uh mixing all the sodas together you know suicide yeah. or what have you sam Forsythe says it's called a graveyard where where he's from It's a
2: good one, but still dark. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Bag Ladies (laughs) and the Feral Spinner says in Canada, they call it swamp water, which is also pretty dark, a little more gross.
1: That's gross. All the other ones are dark because they're about death. Yeah, suicide, graveyard,
0: swamp swamp water. They don't sound good, do they? (laughs) It's not implied that this is a good thing. (laughs) Don't judge a book
2: by its cover. Don't judge a beverage by its name.
0: (laughs) We had one commenter who said they wanted timestamps in order to skip the discussion about the beverages because it throws off their day. But another that had more (laughs) likes said they tune in just for the beverage talk. So you're really really hitting
2: both sides of it here, Sean. (laughs) Our friend Rudy sent us a link to some some podcast. I can't remember what it was now even where they were talking about someone drinking Kool-Aid. And it had like a million views. It was nothing but them like talking about the Kool-Aid he was drinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. Just just talking about Kool-Aid. We'll talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. I guess that's, uh, <laughs> that's still a thing. huh? Yeah. Last week, I made a few more of those minute short
2: movie previews yeah. with a sort of a sci-fi theme. I did a few more with a mystery theme this week. Mystery, the idea of mysteries came up last week. So I did a, a couple more. I did uh, Rear Window, the Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock movie, Memento, the Christopher Nolan movie. Nice. Silence of the Lambs. And it's this Romanian movie called
0: uh, Police Adjective. Really obscure movie, but I, I really loved it. So nice. anyway. That's really cool. Well, uh, we wish you luck with those. I enjoy them, so I encourage everyone else to check them out. We, as usual, for, the, for our review episodes, have a nice collection of questions and comments that we've gathered throughout the run, some of which of course, we covered during individual episodes, but a lot of them we save for the end. Well, let's give a great shout out to Nina. Um, her notes and thoughts have been really invaluable, not just throughout Dunkin' Egg, but throughout all of Val Arboritas. I believe we can expect more in the future, but I wanted to give her extra thanks today and to shout out her blog, Good Queen with 1L.tumblr.com. Currently, uh, most recent article is on what does Blood Raven think of Dunk? Sort of reversing things and getting um, a longer look at the way that all developed. What you know, what a man like him would think of a man like Dunk and all that. So it's a good exploration, and I encourage you to check it out. If you want to join the discussion, head over to either our Facebook group, our Discord group, our Slack group. You can interact with us on Twitter or on, um, what am I forgetting, Uh, (laughs) email. There's lots of ways to interact with us. So you can do that. And it's a great way to participate. We're going to be, as far as future plans, I'm sure a lot of you are wondering what's next since Valararitas for Dunkin' Egg is ending. We won't have another Valararitas for a few months. We will be restarting Valararitas in January, the 2nd of January. So right, the day after New Year's is a Sunday. And that'll be the beginning of 2022, of course, just in case you're hearing this in the future. (laughs) Listening from the future. And what we're going to do with the next three months is focus on our scripted content. We've got a nice uh, series of episodes that we haven't finished, some of which have barely been started, some of which are quite close to being finished. So we're going to focus entirely on that for a while. We'll still have the occasional live stream. And this is another reason for you to check in with our social media groups because that is where you'll see schedule updates So you have some idea of what's coming and when. And with that in mind, thank you to all of our patrons. You all who support us financially are the reason we can take this kind of long look and focus on these certain topics. We're still one of the, there's a lot of A Song of Ice and Fire podcasts out there, but we're still one of the few doing scripted content. And we want to make sure we get a good amount of that out uh, for the next year. So let's get to it. Sean, uh, starting off. Let's talk about what stands out to you the most about Dunkin' Egg that's different from A Song of Ice and Fire. Since A Song of Ice and Fire is a fresh read for you, you might have, I figure, some pretty interesting takes on this, ones that I wouldn't have considered.
2: I, I think the biggest one, and this even leads into another thought that I had about the series, something for us to talk about here in, in a summary, is it? it's only one POV. Yeah. I think that's the, and that's, probably the biggest difference, especially considering the other differences that ends up making, that it's less sprawling of a story. It gives us maybe a little extra insight into one character, but less into others. And and there's pros and cons to that. It's still interesting for us to ponder those other characters. In a way, maybe more space for that, since we don't have auto answers to certain things. We get to think a little bit more about made our plum or what blood raven was thinking or whatever than if we just knew you know yeah but also if we just knew that would open up more things to wonder about or other interactions that blood raven has with some people would become new characters that we would wonder about or potentially get povs on if george did this in the style of the rest of the books uh another difference that we've also talked about that you know it's hard to say exactly how significant this really is but he definitely spends a higher percentage of time in the main series describing food <laughs> and uh, that is i want to add it's humorous but on another hand i wonder especially when you think about the moments where it happens a lot of times i haven't put that much analysis into it but it'd be neat to think about the the times he spends the most space talking about food what's surrounding that and I'm kind of thinking about this. My, my brain's usually a lot a of powerful people
0: are around all that. Right. I guess that's one reason why it's not here. As yeah. Much. These and guys sometimes
2: are, big moments too. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, big moments. like, I, again, I wish I could remember a little more specifically, but I just assume in the red wedding, there was some time taken to talk about the food. Oh yeah. Right. Yes, definitely. Probably the purple
0: wedding too. Yes. And so even I'm more at the purple, wedding. Are, purple wedding is kind of lulls know, you to sleep with it. It's, it's, it's intentional yeah. because then it's a big surprise.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's almost, I don't know if red herring is quite the right purple word to use, but yeah, Uh, Uh, but like I had this thought like a difference between film and the written word. Yeah. And this is partly was sparked in my mind when I was doing these mystery uh, movies, thinking about mystery movies is it, it's hard to have totally dead space when you're reading. Right. Yeah. In a movie, you can just have like a character just sitting still in the dark, like wondering if he was noticed or uh, trying to be quiet. So the bad guy doesn't hear her breathing in a closet or whatever thing. like, it's in a book. It's hard to have just this total little dead silent moment of nothing happening. You're in the person's head. If
0: they're silent, right, yeah, you don't have the silence. You have their thoughts in that moment of silence. There's
2: some yeah. visual description of what's happening, or some talk of their thoughts. There's something on the page for you to read. There's not. But it isn't I, just I, a bunch of dots. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: It might be <laughs> neat to have passes. like a blank page as part of a format for a book to create like suspense. You have to turn three blank pages to get back to the, yeah. what happens next or something. But anyway, my point is that sometimes the food descriptions might be a way to distract your mind from other clues yes. or pacing of what things are, what's happening or where things are going.
0: Yeah, that's a really good example because we did specifically take notes. Kind of why I interjected there about the purple wedding is it's a long chapter and the food descriptions I think are intentionally, I wasn't joking, I think they're intentionally to, to lull you into a sense of this is a party. Things are happening so that the, when the big moment happens, you're like, whoa. And it's very much the opposite of the Red Wedding where there's all this tension, uh, oh. you know, that's, that you kind of sense something's going to happen where the Purple Wedding it doesn't have that feel to it.
1: I totally thought that you were making a joke about the Purple Wedding because you call it Purple Pro's.
0: <laughs> when, when you're being very
1: descriptive of something and that's exactly what the food mm. descriptions are they're very purple writing
0: yeah good point no i was not saying that so or yeah actually yeah that's what i meant yeah pun intended obviously yeah, purple intended <laughs> it, it, it take from nina here uh, influenced by our friend jim mcgee and uh, the opportunity george has and uses with these stories to make them individual genre pieces which you can't really do with a song of by because they're not individual stories. right They're Even individual chapters may have individual little episodes within them. They don't really have defined start, middle, and endings within individual chapters, with maybe the exception of the prologue and epilogue chapters have some of that feel to them. But each individual Ned chapter, Jamie chapter, etc. has references to the previous and next chapter and, and all sorts of other stuff that's just all supporting an epic rather than supporting a genre piece. And so I think that the inner monologues and the historical statements and things like that are, are different uh, in terms of what they're geared towards and what they're trying to make us think about. And uh, this, this comment continues, while George certainly pulls inspiration from lots of different sources for lots of parts of A Song of Ice and Fire, this is a fantasy story. Uh, a Song of Ice and Fire is a story about humanity's battle with apocalyptic ice monsters and, and grand politics and all these other things, but Duncan Egg is—it's not, fan, not fantastical. But the fantasy elements are pretty mild. I mean, in especially in the Sworn Sword, there really there's almost nothing. In the Mystery Knight, there's some glamoring, right? There's a little bit of, and there's some dr- dragon dreaming. But yeah, I mean, you would say that's pretty. Would you would say that's pretty mild um, compared to a Song of Ice and Fire, huh, Sean?
2: Yes, although in general a song of ice and fire, I, I would say is relatively fantasy light. I don't know if that's the right word. I guess it grows phrase, more
0: and more the longer we get in. Yeah, it, but
2: yeah. I, I wanted to say that, but then I realized that it starts off with the White Walkers. Yeah. <laughs> then it kind of rolls uh, that
0: back for a while. But but yeah but,
2: yeah, but then it's very, very little for a long time, which I super appreciate because the more fantastic stuff there is I think you have a combination of a more difficult time to relating to characters like regular people, A, and B, a little more difficult time predicting where things might go when any random, crazy, fantastic thing can happen. So when you have less of it and you have it be more, I don't know, finite or controlled or limited or et cetera, I think George does maybe the best job of
0: anyone with handling fantasy is for what I want. Anyway. Right on. Yeah. And it's, it is nice to have it that way. It's like the smaller amount It shows you that the smaller amounts work really well. You know, it's like, cause you keep wanting more. It's that like, it's that whole adage, like leave them wanting more. Well, George is also yeah. very good at that. <laughs> That's another thing that, uh, my mind, I can't help but
2: think of like the implications in the world if there were this or that magic yeah. thing. Like there were just they were just if it was too abundant or, or commonplace, the whole world would go through significant changes. Like someone would come up with like steam engines or you know like communication systems. You know what modern sort of the things that we have for modern technology are things that humanity wants. We, we want the ability to travel and communicate better with each other, right? And so if you have magic too abundant, those things will happen. And then you don't have the same medieval kind of world that you would have otherwise. Yeah. And maybe that would be interesting to speculate, but that's not what George is doing, and if he lets there be too much magic here, then the whole world
0: doesn't make as much sense does that Yeah, make sense? he wants the magic <laughs> to have been bigger, right like yeah, does that make sense yeah like like or to have potential but, yeah, or maybe that maybe some of that could come back like that's an interesting thing to have hanging over the whole thing like Valeria is gone. there's no way Valeria's coming back, but certain parts of it might certain elements of it, certain things they figured out might get figured out again, uh some of their artifacts are still around that's 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 pretty cool. The whole, and that's a constant refrain in fantasy sci-fi is the, the new world, uh, rising from the ashes of the old, or, uh, maybe that happened a thousand years ago, but there's still those elements of the old world, a hundred, a thousand years ago, what happened, what have you. Comment from Aaron Whitmer, the comparison of Duncan Egg to a Western is very apt. Duncan Egg always feels like a playground for George to go to as a break for how tightly woven a song of ice and fire is. Duncan Egg roll into town and adventure happens around them. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think we focused on the sworn sword as, as the main carrier of that Western theme, but you could even apply it a little bit to some of the others. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good comment. I think that's a, a nice way to help round out what we're talking about here. Sean, you had a good question. Interesting uh, idea to to consider here.
2: Yes. And again, it kind of ties to the difference in the main series with this little novellas. What POVs do we wish we had? Like even when we have a dozen or more POVs, we still wish for more, right? What about when there's only one in the first place? (laughs) And I think egg is like one we would love to have, right? But there would be a lot of crossover of information that we're already getting anyway. So it might be interesting, uh, probably the next most obvious would be Blood Raven. Sure, right? Sure. He's the one, I think, think how much we would get from the whole world. Of <laughs> yeah, he kind, of Raven, breaks, he kind of breaks
0: George's POV rule there. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we would still like it, but yeah, we're, gonna, we're not going to get that. <laughs> but what, if, what, what are some other characters in
2: this series yeah. that would be interesting? And I'm kind of curious to share who, who you might pick also. Or viewers in the chat.
1: Tancel would be interesting. Oh. Because think yeah. about, you know, when Dunk's taken away, Tancel has to get out of Dodge. There's someone right there that isn't, there's not crossover.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. And again, if he was fleshing out this huge story like he does in A Song of Ice and Fire, we would still get every few chapters would be her down in Dorne. She might be at some other tournament, might overhear some other night. If she's performing Mm. for some event, she might get insights to other happenings
0: in the Dornish world that might relate to what's going on in the main series. Nina makes note that it's one of the great things about Dunk and Egg too that is relevant for this POV discussion is that we don't get a lot of insight as to what life is like in Westeros for people who aren't highborn. And that's one thing that's nice about keeping it with Dunk, which would work for Tanzel as well, Um, Mm -hmm. is keeping that perspective. Now, if we had an egg POV, maybe it could just be like a few paragraphs or something. It doesn't have to be a whole chapter. Um, George could break his patterns a bit if he wanted to, but that's a good thing that we, it's important to realize the lens of Dunkin' Egg is not just through Dunk, but it's through a person of his standing in society. Think how cool it would be, though, if, if George got us all in
2: the next book entirely from Egg's perspective. Whoa. And not Dunk's at all. <laughs> yeah, that would be huh? interesting. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah,
1: if... That, that would be actually very interesting. And there is nothing that tells us that that, that, that can't happen, that it has to be Dunk out of Dunk yeah. Egg.
0: He never said they'll all be from Dunk's point of view. He's never yeah. said anything like that mm-hmm. as far as I know. You mentioned Makar here, Sean. Yeah, I mean, Makar could be uh, possibly. I know you actually wrote, you noted him for a potentially different context, but also yeah. he could be, you know.
2: He would be yeah, another great POV that we get a lot of insight from. But not too uh, much I've insight, thought, you yeah. know, in
1: terms of what is he saying <laughs> about Blood Raven, right? About him maybe being too far. I think Makar mm-hmm. would have insight, but still not know everything.
0: Yeah. It's like Stannis. We compare Makar to Stannis. We couldn't have a Stannis POV because he knows too many things that would be awkward for the POV for his inner thoughts to conceal. But Makar doesn't have like memories of Melisandre and seeing a shadow baby get made, things like that. So we would yeah. still you could be in his head. Um I, I don't know if it would be interesting. He's such a hard ass. But it might it would be it would be interesting. George would make it interesting. But
2: <laughs> another <laughs> unless way, way to maybe make it interesting. Especially following up with something we spent a little time talking about before. What if we got a
0: POV of Maekar Squire? Okay, yeah, whoever that is, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, yeah, or one of his squires. You probably got more than one because yeah. it would be nice to see what Dunk looks like from other people's in other people's eyes. You know that that's the mm-hmm. big value, even mm-hmm. if it's only for that, right? Just to see what he how he comes off. You know, like man, that dude is so big. <laughs> Another one that would be good would be Damon. Like, Ooh, imagine yeah. if we
2: got his story from before he even came over to Westeros, Whoa. back when they were priming him to. To to leave Essos or whatever. He, to, to imagine interactions and insights and whatnot we might have gotten from that. Well,
0: one way we might get that, but not from Damon himself, is if we go overseas. If Duncan Egg happens to go overseas, for example, there's uh, one of the topics we're going to discuss today is the future of Duncan Egg, and that involves playing around a little bit with the planned titles and what that says to us. One of them is the is called the Cell and our Favorite guess for that is that it'll involve Bittersteel. And hey, we might get Bittersteel's take or information on why he didn't support this rebellion. And that might give us insight into what Damon was like younger, Damon II was like as a younger man, you know, just some things from that side. Even if it's not going back in time to see things from Damon's point of view, we still might get more about what happened before this story through another source. And speaking of uh, Blackfire, then versus now. This is uh, one of the great thematic comparisons and parallels we can make between Dunkin' and Egg and the main series is Blackfyres and parallels to the Young Griff plot. Uh, for example, Butterwell's declarations against Damon the Younger with Aegon and Daenerys in the current story, right? Damon, uh, or rather, Butterwell emphasizes that Damon does not bear the sword, uses that as a reason to doubt. Uh, his support, right? If he were his father's son, still would have armed him with Blackfire, is the line. Our Aegon, meaning Aegon, who could be Aegon the sixth, young Griff, probably does have Blackfire. We've discussed that at length in Val Ivaridis, Maine. And we expect Arianne will probably declare Dorne for him, and then he'll have the Golden Company. So this is a lot of the same. Goal. They're going to try to make him look like a winner. It's on a larger scale, but they're going to surround him with the trappings of Blackfire heritage. Uh, like the sword, of course, is a big one. Maybe the crown. Uh, the crown of Egg on the Conqueror was lost in Dorn. So there's a good chance the Dornish still have it. However, the kicker to all that, just like a real dragon can uh, usurp this so called false dragon, Damon II, meaning Egg himself. Uh, was the real person in the dream, the real prof- prophesied hatched egg. Dunk says, if a living dragon appeared again in Westeros, the lords and small folk alike would flock to whichever prince could lay claim to it. So Danny has dragons, Aegon does not. Now, what Dunk wasn't thinking about there was all you know, the, the other out things that could come into play. Like with Daenerys, there's plenty of reason to think, well, it won't be actually that simple at all. Prejudice against her for, you know, being a foreigner, being a woman, all these other things. Dunk wasn't considering that possibility. He thinks of prince. He says thinks prince here, so that's sort of a a way of dodging the issue (laughs) from the perspective that we're about to be reading it. I think that's super interesting.
2: When you said you know would flock to whichever prince, I was like or princess, yeah, or princess,
0: yeah. Which really makes us (laughs) think uh about the uh, you know the the translation thing, right? The prince or princess, the princess that was promised, and all that. It's kind of a nice little nod to that
2: and that's another thing that's interesting to think about too is that you know even dragons as powerful as they are they don't automatically mean well let me say it different even if they do mean you automatically win every battle you can't be everywhere all at once right. multiple battles are happening in multiple yeah. places and it takes time to travel and even if you can fly there quick with your dragons the rest of your army is left behind like even if you Kind of like in modern military, even if you fly somewhere with jet fighters and blow up a bunch of buildings, we you still didn't take over that country. You're still not running that government. You might go defeat some army, but you need troops and personnel on the ground to really take over,
0: if you will. It'll be
1: fun getting your perspective on Dance the Dragons, where a lot of these things come up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy who just goes around on his dragon that's attacking castles and just is like, hey, come stop me. And they're like, they can't. And half the time, they don't even know where he is. <laughs> like, why <Yeah. laughs> the heck is this guy? Like, he's just flying around the Riverlands, even though he's on a huge dragon. I mean, the Riverlands is miles and miles and miles and miles. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's very true. And then the Ironborn, similar thing. They attack and then get away before anyone can even launch a counter offensive, And they're gone, you know, before you can even mount a defense. So, yeah, the... The thing is, they know where their home base is. That's that's true. They should be able to go get those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they eventually do, but it does take a little <laughs> while. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Sticking with this, let's run down the egg on the fifth, egg on the sixth thing here. We we've talked about it off and on throughout this whole series, a bit in uh main uh, Maine as well. So just a, a nice rundown of all the things they have in common. Aegon the fifth and Aegon the sixth both wear straw hats. When we meet a uh, young Griff, he's wearing a straw hat. Uh, Shaved head versus dyed hair. Remember, Makar says, always dye your hair or shave it. And well, one does one, one does the other. They both have specifically dark purple eyes, not just purple eyes, but dark purple eyes. Both raised far from court. Consider Varus's line to the dying Kevin about he's, you know, he's fished, he's felt fear, he's, you know, slept in the cold. Well, all those things. Egg as well. All, those, all that stuff, too. Now, here's where it's a little sad. Currently, we don't know how... Well, we know how Egg dies, sort of. And obviously, Egg on the f- Egg on Young Griff is not super likely to survive the whole series. And a popular guess, my own included, is that he'll die also to either Wildfire or Dragonfire. So they may have a very similar death coming. So that's less fun, but it certainly deepens the parallel.
1: Do you think there's any chance that in future Dunkin' Eggs... Egg will no longer be an egg, and he'll dye his hair instead of shaving it.
0: Yeah, I mean, eventually he's got to. But obviously, certainly, certainly you're you're thinking before he's king.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I said dye his hair.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, dye it instead. For example, when he's
1: meeting, when he's down in the Riverlands near Betha, and they meet, is it going to be bald Egg, or is he, you know, maybe going to have some hair? Can you
0: call him Egg if he's got hair? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that would be interesting if he decided to go the other route. I wonder. It seems a lot so much harder to maintain. It like does hair dye I mean, versus it would be just harder to maintain,
1: it. but if you're going to be at all vain, I think, <laughs> like if you're going to start caring about your appearance, which a teenage boy might.
0: Mm, yeah. He might start taking a bath once a month. Whoa. <laughs> boy, that's fancy. That's way too fancy. And I know I pointed this out before, but of course, we have Dunk and Duck, and they both join the Kingsguard, of course. And well, we'll see what happens with Duck. But he may also die the same way Egg, uh, the fifth dies, or Egg the sixth dies, just like Dunk dies at Summer Hall with Egg. So
1: Koi Vanazi uh, says if they go to Essos, that's when Egg could dye his hair.
0: Oh, yeah. They that's could, when go, it
1: would make sense mm. for him to have dyed hair.
0: Yes, because he, A, people would know he's got a shaved head. It would be a way to be go re incognito. Like, yeah. Because the, the the bald head thing is going to be known eventually. Like, oh, that's the bald head. That's the egg. Like, people, that's the, the bald, word's going to get bald out. Bald
1: headed Targaryen boy. Yeah. You're right. I, they it would was get with out.
0: the seven foot tall Dunk. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. You're, that's a great point. Yeah, y'all are right. It would get out. People would start to know, especially people who are important. <laughs> the people they would want to hide from the most. <laughs> uh, even like, but even regular folk would be like, oh yeah, that's uh, Dunk and Egg over there. <laughs> <laughs> Also, just as far as Raleigh Duckfield coming up with his name on the fly, right? He was like, looked up and there were ducks. Also, Dunk. He's like, they're like, what's your name? And he's like, "Uh, Duncan the (laughs) Tall. He almost said of Penny Tree, (laughs) but it's kind of the same thing. Where he's just like, oh, got to come up my name. So, of course, that's not egg and egg on anymore. We're comparing Duck to Dunk, but
2: hey corollary parallels. Yeah,
0: you know, they're all so connected to each other. So, yeah, corollary parallel. That's a good term, Sean. (laughs) And but one difference, though, is that Raleigh Duckfield is like, so open, right? There was that line where Tyrion's like, uh, some of these people uh, are more than they seem. Duck is rather less, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dunk is more than he seems. He's more in that category because he hides stuff about his heritage. He hides his, the, the knighthood mystery and, you know, things like that. So we don't even know how old he is. But both of these guys committed a great crime. And that's part of where I uh, put them where they are. Duck beat up Caswell. Again, we have a Caswell lord. And had to flee because they would have executed him for that. And Dunk also committed a great crime, beating up Aryan. But he didn't, you know, run away and got out of it through, well, we know how he got out of it. We did several episodes on that.
2: Dunk may have committed some other crimes too. Maybe not necessarily great. And maybe at young enough an age, it's hard to hold him accountable for. Yeah, the
1: Statue of Limitations has passed. (laughs) (laughs)
2: but <laughs> like, can you imagine in modern times if someone ran into a restaurant and threw a decapitated head into the food
0: right in the in the kitchen do you think they might be arrested do you think not that if would- they were a teenager they go to they go to juvie for that though yeah like first they'd be like yeah. son where'd you get the head <laughs> 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 oh and like, okay you didn't cut it off of someone who was alive okay now okay it is just juvenile hall then because otherwise we, were, we thought we were dealing with some sort of psycho i stole it child. from
2: the mortuary
0: yeah <laughs> okay that's
2: one more crime all right
0: <laughs> continuing on the idea or building on the idea of what dunk would look like through someone else's eyes what would dreams of dunk look like i want to think about this comparison to Tyrion, where Makoro looks at Tyrion, and we have this great quote Dragons, old and young, true and false, bright and dark. And you, small man with a big shadow, snarling in the midst of it all. Would he be a big man with a small shadow, or is he a large man with a huge shadow? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but you can see what I mean. Like Tyrion's in the midst of all that. He's mixed up with dragons, right? He's going to be mixed up with Tyrion or with uh, Danny and was already mixed up with young Griff and them. But Dunk. As well, I mean, he's clear like this absolutely applies, other than the uh, small man part. <laughs> he's uh, he's absolutely mixed up with all sorts of dragons. I don't know about the snarling part, but Tyrion also kind of laughs at that, you know. Sentence,
2: I can't believe this never occurred to me before. But do we have any evidence of young Griff or Duck or any of them appearing in anyone else's
0: visions? No, not not directly, right? not directly. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, maybe even if we go back and reevaluate it, something Melisandre said one time might theoretically could be. I don't know if that's the case, but it just occurred to me that's something that's worth researching. Yeah, or, sure. Or, or someone taking note of in some way, you know, that, that it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But the fact that I don't think there's been any prophetic clue about any of the characters involved there.
0: Yeah, might be an indication that they're not the the true deal. It's right. You like most of the prophecies seem to end up pointing at Danny. You're like, oh, does it point to this person or th-? no? It's Danny. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, but of course, not literally everything. So, that is a good point. Now, so I would wonder about that. Like, I wonder if we have more examples of dreamers getting a look at Dunk. If that's going to happen, if there if there's ever going to be like a Summerhall type comment from someone who has dreams like that. I really wonder, it certainly seems like it'll be a part of of what we could expect from any sort of Dunkin' Egg project going forward. Bright and dark th- in that line, in that uh, quote, dragons old and young, true and false, bright and dark. Now, bright and dark is interesting phrasing. It reminds me of Arian bright Flame, right? That's his uh, nickname. And Valar Targaryen, the line about him is he had dark hair like his father, but a bright streak ran through it. So, you know, bright and dark. Um so I wonder if that's just uh, you know, George likes that phrase or if there's more to it, but it, it stood it stood out a bit and I wanted to draw attention to it.
2: It could also mean bright as in like a uh can't think of the word to use, but like a sharp mind, a, oh. a smart person's bright and, and dark could also mean a foreboding person or a pessimistic person, you know. Sure,
0: yeah. And Arian was said to not to force it all onto him but he's supposedly dabbled Mm -hmm. in the dark arts so you have bright flame dabbling in the dark arts and you know yeah so yeah a lot of a lot of things that that could be interpreted here folks if you have any takes on that definitely share them with us it's wide open a little mini mystery there sort of on line with that comment from cat ovivas back from i think this came during our hedge night coverage she says, I wonder whether Rhaegar had visions, dreams about his own death, and whether this was the reason why he stopped believing he himself was the promised prince and started believing it would be his son. Now, Rhaegar thought he would return from the Trident, Nina points out. He definitely thought he would live a li- at least a little bit longer, but he may have thought his own death. He may have seen his own death. That doesn't mean he didn't see his own death and just like so many prophecies and visions, he got it wrong. He's, he's like, oh, I'm going to die doing this or that 20 years from now. But oh, no, Oops. Actually, it's the Trident. You saw mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's certainly possible. Um, but I, I I don't know. I think maybe Rhaegar shifted it because he saw a new bleeding star. You know, it came again and, and the other things didn't line up. But it's an interesting idea. I, certainly what Rhaegar's dreams are is an endless and interesting sort of cycle whirlpool. <laughs>
2: This might be a good segue to my actual thought about Makar from earlier. Sure, yeah, do it. I wonder if he had any visions or dreams or anything. All his sons did,
0: right? So it does kind of make
2: sense. And if it might have contributed to his sulking. Like it kind of, think how it sent spiraled uh, Daron into sort of a depression of sorts. Especially when other aspects of life maybe were troubling. Same, It might be similar for Makar if he feels like he's been passed up for something he deserves and he's frustrated by his sons and also he had this weird dream where he saw himself dying
0: what yeah it'd be interesting because he's a proud man he wouldn't let on about that he would react to it differently mm-hmm. than his son the alcoholic who or if who he saw his sons instructed. dying or yeah. yeah i don't know he, he yeah. could be more rigid about it, like stannis just like just bend before he or break before he bends kind of deal where he just yeah he just, like internalizes yeah. it and is just really rigid about it and uh, yeah he might have very tumultuous internal thoughts to to, to belie his harsh exterior. That's an interesting theory, Sean. I like that. It does. I mean, it it certainly fits a lot of things like, like, yeah, so many of them have dreams. The fact that all four of his sons had dreams.
1: Maybe that's why he let Egg go with Dunk.
0: Hey, you never know. Maybe maybe something Dunk said triggered a memory of one of his dreams. Yeah.
2: In fact, remember that moment at the end of the hedge night when Dunk kind of I don't know, made his case. And Makar, there was like a long pause where Makar thought for a long time. And, and I think he, I wish I could remember a little bit better. I think he may, maybe gave in an okay, fine sort of indication and then walked away. I wonder if his brain was spinning there over some vision he had had, and it might've been as much about deciding this is destiny rather than Dunk made a good argument. Yeah,
0: I mean, you know? it could be both. I think, because I think Dunk did make a good
2: argument. For sure. But yeah,
0: I think you're right. Yeah, um, yeah.
2: No, I don't mean to imply Dunk didn't make okay, a good argument. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But you know whether he did or not, Makar might have also been considering some vision he had had,
0: yeah. or t- some dream Darren had told him about, or something. I think that it's it's a really interesting idea because Makar doesn't come off as like he comes up as non mystical, but there, but that's really just facade. There's no reason for us to think there's no absolute deadlock reason why this couldn't he couldn't be having dreams, especially because it's not common among Targaryens, but not uncommon either. Uh, so yeah, I like it. I like it a lot.
1: I mean, like you said, you're, you said it's not common, but it's not uncommon. But again, all of Makar's sons—all
0: of them—I know that's such a big deal. Yeah, yeah that's like, a good indication. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like what you know, what did they all get it from their mom? Not so much.
0: It reminds me of all of Ned and Catelyn's children being skin changers. Like, well, how did you know? Like, True. Well, Like, it's almost—that's
1: a good—that's a good comparison, actually.
0: Yeah. So I wonder. I mean, Ned. they Ned. We, didn't, we did not get in Ned's head, and he didn't have magical dreams, but he certainly had dreams that were important. <laughs> and they might, who knows, they could be a little bit magical. They just weren't obviously magical. Let's talk about something a lot lighter and funnier. Knights versus snails. This is something that came from a commenter who said, do you think the reference to Uthor underleaf has something to do with the preponderance of knights fighting snails in medieval art and i'm like what i had not heard of this so i indeed i googled knights fighting snails and there's all kinds of stuff this is (laughs) wild man the smithsonian magazine let me quote them it's a great unsolved mystery of medieval manuscripts as got medieval writes you get these all the time in the margins of gothic manuscripts Quote, and I do mean all the time. They're everywhere. Sometimes the knight is mounted, sometimes not. Sometimes the snail is monstrous, sometimes tiny. Sometimes the snail is all the way across the page, sometimes right under the knight's foot. Usually the knight is drawn so that he looks worried, stunned, or shocked by his tiny foe. What the heck? So it's still a mystery. It's like something that there's some theories about it, which I'll get into here in a second. But... As I get into them, be aware that these are just theories. It's kind of like memes, right? If you were to see a meme from today, 50 years from now, good luck figuring that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you need some sort of context. Or lots of context, like, like yeah. context to seize. Like You need five different pieces of current events context <laughs> to make sense of it. And even then, it's a little obscure. So... That might be what we're looking at with these snails. It's some sort of medieval in-joke that is just completely... Or we wouldn't even get it, even if it was explained to us now. But no one's going to no, explain remember, it to us now. We have no idea. We've, like I said, I'll, I'll
2: get a I wish I could remember
1: the
0: what the source
2: was. But, you know, when I was young and into fantasy and knights and dragons and stuff, I remember reading about the idea that knights or uh, dragons represented, often in European history at least, Not so much some super monster beast, but like some internal strife the knight had. Something the knight had to deal with before he could move on with his life, before he could win the princess, might be like marry the girl in his local town, you know. But but just this idea there's something you have to deal with, something you have to overcome or defeat. That maybe it's a bully, maybe it's a fear, maybe it's financial debt or an expectation of your father. But something you have to confront, you know. Hmm. I wonder if snails could represent something like that too. Everyone's gotta confront
0: snails. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so here's a couple of interpretations I read. Now, of course, again, these are just guesses. The resurrection is thrown in there, is tossed about as an idea, because hey, Christianity is ubiquitous, the resurrection is ubiquitous from from knighthood, European uh, medieval times, Uh, the inexorable pull of life, you know, the spiral, right? The infinity symbol, uh, symbolism from the snail spiral, slow, but certain, you know, uh, there's, there's a more popular theory that it represents what happened to the Lombards after they lost a crucial battle that changed their fate as a people. The Lombards are from Lombardy and after this battle, they were stripped of their military power, but they still had political power. So what that meant was they were a target. Like they could, like there were a lot of like wealthy Lombards, but they were by law less able to defend themselves. So they became sort of targets. And they also became known as sort of similar to how, uh, but in a much smaller scale to like how Jewish people were forced into, a forced out of a lot of trade and into, money lending was one of the few that was allowed. They were treated as, shady because of their wealth and that led to persecution and things like that and so the notion is you you've lost your a lot of your power but you still have wealth and that's why you have your whole house on your body right you, you carry your house around with you that's this that's how it connects to a snail also they're supposedly like slimy so these are all invectives it's all just what we're describing some sort of medieval prejudice here like slurs basically But that last bit about carrying your home around with you brings us back to a song of Ice and Fire kind of nicely because that's the life of a sellsword. We see that when these guys go and see the Golden Company, right? What does uh, John Connington describe them? He sees them as a lot of them have huge amounts of wealth carried on their body because where else are they going to put it? They don't have houses. (laughs) They don't have a home. They don't have castles to store their wealth in. So you know, that
2: reminds me. I, yeah. I remember one time reading that, uh, and I'm sure there's a million elements or examples of this in different areas. But the idea that pirates would have earrings mm. that was to pay for their funeral. That oh. the gold of their earring was to pay for their funeral. Wow, <laughs> I
0: didn't know that. That's neat. That's kind of macabre, but it is interesting. It's yeah. clever too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or gold teeth. Maybe you got a gold tooth in there. Like, yeah, just yank that out, pay for my funeral. <laughs> I'm sure different pirates in different areas
2: of the world or time periods that might not have been true. But I can also see how maybe that's part of the purpose of value of jewelry. Like in one way, it's a way to like keep your wealth on your person. It's more secure, yeah, right? And um, then also it starts to become a
0: way to show off your wealth, you know? Mm. But, and that really, it really does represent like a lot of the hedge knight life too, right? Dunk Duncan, Duncan carries all everything he owns is on him. You know, it's attached yeah. to his horses or his body. Even a a wealthier guy, like the snail, Uthor Underleaf, that dude doesn't have a castle. He even mentions, like, yeah, I don't want a castle. It's expensive and, you know, (laughs) all that. Tied down to it. People can find you. Yeah, so he's (laughs) he's got a lot of money, as we saw, but he doesn't have a house. He still carries his house around with him like a snail. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. You know, a snail also has a
2: shell. It's sort of like armor, like knights wear armor. Mm, I don't know if that's some sort of, like, You're trying to compare the night to a snail in some way, or like you know, another thing. I think snails are usually thought of as slow. Yeah, I wonder if that's maybe knights are behind the times or can't Hmm. beat time. Uh, It's weird to think about, right? It's and
0: it's uh, basically everything's on the table because, like I said, there is no certainty here. Uh, here's a couple comments from YouTube. A couple people have, have some ideas. Derry says, perhaps the snail represents the ever-present mundane. The need for food, water, shelter, that the great deeds can't be achieved if you forget the mundane. Hey, that's pretty good. I like that take. Yeah, like nothing, everything falls apart without the basics, right? You can't, you gotta, you gotta eat and, and live. And yeah, no one has a life without those things. It's a very good take. And Gaming with this guy says, war was 99% waiting, slow and terrifying. Huh, That's also a very good point. Yeah, most of war is is, not fighting. That's
2: another very common term in the military is hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. (laughs) Everyone's got to run and gather and get your stuff. Okay, now the truck will be here sometime soon. (laughs) Just wait. (laughs) But when the truck gets there, hurry up, get in a truck, load your stuff, move, move, move. Okay, now wait for the truck to drive to the airport or whatever. (laughs) We took it all.
0: So you're let's let's think about your favorite line in in Dunkin Egg, which is "How good a knight are you truly?" But yeah. I want to know, like, now that you finished it, maybe if you go back to A Song of Ice and Fire one day and reread that, is there are some things you're going to look for? Or are you going to think about knighthood differently based on how Dunkin Egg has reframed it for you as it compares to the main series? Because it's obviously so many characters that it's a big deal for Brienne, Sandor, Gregor, Jamie. I guess those are the biggest four. Those are probably the top four right there. Uh, but also characters like Bran was associated with it, was obsessed with it when he was a kid. Ferris and the Bold, obviously. So, yeah. What do you think, Sean?
2: I probably will look at it a little differently, but I, I really think just from watching the show, that was already in my brain. Mm. I was already looking for that when I went to Dunkin' Egg, when I went nice. to read the books. It was already a theme that I maybe found interesting in general. I, I Before in, even any of this Game of Thrones or whatever. Like the idea of torn loyalties and what it means to be honorable. The the idea of uh, you know that I, I really love that scene when Braun fights the knight whose name I can't remember. Sir Vardis. Uh, yeah, yeah, as Tyrion's champion, and like you didn't fight honorably. Yeah, oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the idea that you know once you're fighting. Like if you're really honorable, you should be fighting. You know what I mean? Like if everyone really had honor, there I don't think there would be any fights. (laughs) So I've always found a certain sort of irony in that in the first place. And George definitely brought that to the forefront. And for all the problems of the show, it's one thing the show did well is also feature that thematic element. So the fact is, like just rereading any of this stuff, I'll have a million new angles to come at it from. But this is clearly a central theme that. George deals with throughout all the material, right? Yeah,
0: good said, good said. Well, let's move on to Duncan Brienne comparisons. We've obviously made several during, but we never stopped to sort of do them all at once. And with that, let's give a shout out to our friend Kristen Reed tredo She is an honorary member of House Reed because it's her actual name. <laughs> And this also, this happened at Balticon, the same Balticon where the Forsaken was read for the first time. She is clearly a skilled questioner of George R. R. Martin because she knew how to phrase this question correctly. She said, Will we ever learn how Brienne descends from Dunk? She didn't ask, does he or does she descend from Dunk? She (laughs) asked the question as if that was already assumed. And he said, eventually... All will be revealed in time. So he just accepted the premise. <laughs> that is a loaded question. That's the definition of a loaded yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> true that. True that. So that's awesome. Uh, not just that it was confirmed, because it was pretty well confirmed anyway. Just the text is just overwhelming with clues there. But, you know, it's never sure until it's sure. And and he, this is pretty sure. And it's nice to hear that he plans on describing it in more detail rather than just leaving it for us to sort of just, well, there were babies and these babies led to babies and then Brienne came. So <laughs> we'll get a <laughs> little more direct uh, line there th- through that. So let's talk about some specific comparisons. Size and strengths, pretty straightforward there, right? Um, Significant facial scarring, Nina points out. I almost missed that one, in the line of True Knighthood. And then there's the, the knighthood issue, which neither of them is, but they both are in terms of attitude and performance and ability and dedication. They're more true than anyone. But in terms of technicalities, I guess not. <laughs> so the sigil, here's a quote. This is uh, when... Brienne gets the shield, not when Dunk gets it. You did beautifully, she said,
2: when the woman showed her the freshly painted shield. It was more a picture than a proper coat of arms, and the sight of it looked and the sight of it took her back through the long years to the cool dark of her father's armory. She remembered how she'd run her fingertips across the cracked faded paint, over the green leaves of the tree and along the path of the falling star.
0: Now Roanne also runs her finger along the falling star along that sigil. So, you know, just a little uh, little parallel there. Uh, Pretty fun. George, that's a sneaky one. Easy to miss that one. (laughs) They both have bath scenes, Dunk and Brienne, for the number of parallels and multiples. Like, right? Brienne has two, at least two bath scenes because she has the one with Jamie and then with the Aries Confession and all that at Harrenhal. But she also has one, I think Maidenpool or Duskendale. I forget which and then you know Dunk has the ones of course as well (laughs) another bath sir yeah so so that's one. and and the reason that's interesting is it's not like any other character like Ned does Ned ever have a bath scene no does Catelyn I don't think so Uh, does Danny Danny does actually but but even that's not really a scene it's just like she gets out of the bath and then stuff happens you know Dunk must be descended from Danny (laughs) (laughs) yep that's right from time traveling fetus comes again (laughs) there's a ton of thematic parallels obviously the knighthood thing is maybe both a theme and like a specific thing you can point to the no chance no choice themes. there's a couple examples for both of them whether it's Brienne's literally thinking no chance, no choice, which kind of is the seminal example because that's when that phrase is actually uttered. But there's also her challenging the gate guards over the issue of the eggs. And then there's Dunk's examples of, you know, Tanzel and standing up to uh, Gorman Peak and Damon, justice for Glendon Ball, all that. Uh, battle scene parallel moments. We went over those in detail, so I don't need to repeat them all, but there was a lot of them. The visor flick, the eyeballs, the morning star dunk being unarmed wrestling tackling all these things one thing i didn't notice until i was a kind of a new notice um was that both of them were sort of picked by their squires instead of the usual the squire is picked by the knight right oh yeah isn't that kind of yeah, cool that's really good yeah, yeah. <laughs> like podrick was <clears throat> just following was like no i'm your squire following like i'm following <laughs> you and you're gonna accept me and, and egg was even more aggressive about it because of his. Well, he's he's more eloquent and more high, even more highborn. <laughs> he can be like, Nah, I, I'm used to getting what I want.
2: Still worth thinking about this more. Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, you you are deeper into this than I am for longer, and both of us have been making a point of reading through this and looking for these parallels. And we just now came up with a new, good, clear one.
0: You know. Yeah, uh, Asha added one here. We should
2: just start this over next. Week. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> re re read this. <laughs> the Rohan, Dunk, and Jamie, Brienne parallels there. Like, they're comparisons between those two non-relationship relationships, um, which may or may not ever go farther. And of course, since Rohan is literally Jamie's great, Grandmother. great-grandmother great-grandmother it's even even yeah, tighter with the, brienne yeah. being
1: just definitely want to make <laughs> that clear
0: descended too. yeah so they're even
1: <laughs> whereas brienne is the great-granddaughter presu- great that's presumably the difference probably not granddaughter
0: yeah we're not sure exactly whether there's a great in there or two greats or a grand yeah, yeah I, mean, I would assume one great but uh, yeah me too but but we're not sure the phrase uh thick as a castle wall let's have a minute on that one George very nicely spaces it out. He kicks it off with seven instances in the Hedge Knight, then six in the Sworn Sword, and six in the Mystery Knight. Nicely balanced, George. Let's read a few of the ones from Song of Ice and Fire. First off, we have the Storm of Swords prologue. Look, the Sisterman laughed. Small pole, thick as a castle wall," he mocked. <laughs> Next up, we have a Storm of Swords again. Sam two.
2: Pip always teased Gren about being thick as a castle wall, so Sam explained
0: patiently. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam explained patiently, (laughs) but then, if you recall how that scene goes, Gren then explains patiently to Sam how he's wrong, and I think most readers find themselves agreeing with Gren. (laughs) So, way to go, Gren. He's like, "Yeah, but you know, the Thorn calls me Orox because he's insulting me. But when you know, but frankly, an Orox is big and tough and." That doesn't bother me being called big and tough, you know? <laughs> so, Much like It's dumb. kind of like nowadays. Someone...
1: They, they, they both make some good insight. Yeah. They're yeah, not it's... as dumb as people say.
0: Emotional intelligence, yeah. right on, you yeah.
2: it would, know? It would be kind of like someone today calling
0: someone a nerd. You nerd, like, oh, cool, thanks. thanks. I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm
2: going to make some money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, uh, sticking with the Storm of Swords, we have Jamie5. This is said to Brienne. Are you thick as a castle wall?
2: That was an apology. I'm tired of fighting with you. Let's say we make a truce. Then we have a feast for crows, Brienne 4. The forest floor was
0: a bed of fallen needles, thick as a castle wall, littered with pine cones. <laughs> so that's, of course, <laughs> when she's in Crack Claw Point with Nimble Dick. So there you go. Uh, those are clues to who else is related to Duncan. Of course, Brienne's in there. We knew that one. But Small Paul and Gren are absolutely potential options for... Related to Dunk um, by, via blood, via ancestry, given that they're both very large men, especially Small Paul. Small Paul's the one who carries Sam, like picks him up and carries him for a while. Like, mm-hmm. whoa. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so, yeah, that's strong. Uh, Gren, as well as we just described, Orox. So he's obviously a big, strong man, too. Right on. Nina offers us a very fun theory slash uh, framework for understanding uh, how Dunk can relate to Brienne. So this is, of course, this is a theory, but it's my favorite theory, at least maybe with maybe a few small alterations, but basically, long and short of it, this is my pick for closest to the truth. If we have to guess, we don't have to guess, but we like to guess. So... She thinks great-granddaughter of Dunk and Egg's sister, Daella. Now, Brienne's father Excuse being... Excuse me,
1: you got to say it, Daya, like right. sorry. Like Chloe says,
0: yeah. <laughs> Like And that Brienne's father, Selwyn, Selwyn was the son of Daya and Dayella and Dunk's son. So her theory is that Egg was originally betrothed to Daella, but broke off that betrothal to Mary Betha in secret. We know that Betha and Egg married for love, so that checks out. We also know that Egg said Ray, his other sister, tried to give him a love potion so that he'd marry her instead of Daella, which implies that that was the plan, that, she, that he was going to marry Daella because, hey, they're similar age. That's what the Targaryens do, blah, blah, blah. That fits extremely well. It might be, in fact, what that implication means, that it was, was in fact, planned or just expected. And of course, that has a ripple effect going forward where Egg and Beth's children also marry for love. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So Daella needs a new husband, clearly, if, if she doesn't marry Egg. The theory is Makar could marry her to the Lord of Tarth. We just had the third Blackfire. would have just had the third Blackfire Rebellion at that time, so having... Uh, a stronger connection to these island castles, the ones that would be crucial in shoring up defense against another invasion from the east, as well as making sure they're on your side. Because the worst thing would hmm. be, if they're like, if, imagine if Tarth is like, yeah, well, we'll rise for the Blackfires and give them a place to land. Ooh, that's bad. That's real bad. Give them a base of operations right off the coast. That's real bad. So you got to keep them happy. That, that makes pretty straightforward sense, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, then going forward with the idea, then Dunk goes there, maybe maybe because he's a sworn shield or maybe there's just some reason why they go there. And then they hook up. <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, they, they're they attracted to each other. Well, we don't have to really, we don't have to imagine that too much. That's pretty <laughs> straightforward. And I need to suggest thinking of Ares and Princess Arianne as maybe a um, example for that, except probably er- probably Dunk wouldn't be so inexperienced or weird about the whole thing, but <laughs> but still, uh, rather than that, they would be a child.
1: Isn't it a little weird to imagine Dunk hooking up with ex sister?
0: <laughs> yeah. picture the interactions
1: bit. like the kind of jokes egg would make a or, little bit yeah. i don't know
0: he would feel that would be some george would have to do some interesting writing there like he would have real mixed feelings but he would be like yeah but she's so hot
1: yeah yeah it's a good point to <laughs> emphasize that even though dale was in eggs age range so is dunk yeah yeah they're not far apart in age they're like four they're like five years apart in age so. yeah
0: yes yeah,
2: if you add 10 to both of them it's more appropriate <laughs> yeah
0: Hodor would be an example of another character that is potentially descended from uh, from Dunk because of Bran's weirwood vision regarding a a knight as tall as Hodor kissing a woman standing on her toes. And the time frame really fits that it would be, well, she wouldn't be old Nan. She would just be Nan or Nymeria, maybe. Probably not Nymeria, but maybe. Uh, And so we said small Paul and Gren. Now the Cleganes. I'm not against the Cleganes being descendants of Duncan the Tall, but their connection is more thematic than logistical or or there's no there's no clues that they're descendants other than their giantness. Obviously, the knighthood stuff is rich for comparisons, but that by itself, eh, to me, that doesn't imply a blood connection, but it certainly isn't ruled out. How do you feel about that one, Sean?
2: I think it's too much to just think that every big person's related to each other. Yeah, you know I mean? it does start like, to like, who
0: else is, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> some of them with certain clues, yeah, sure, but you can't just think that everyone is. Yeah.
1: I think Hodor and Brienne.
2: You don't think
0: Gren or Smallpaw?
1: They're more maybe, possible they're maybe, to okay. me than Sandor, I mean, I guess it wouldn't just be Sandor, it would be Sandor and Gregor, but I, yeah. I don't think <laughs> it would be them, and... I, like Sean says, I don't think everyone is. Dunk will have maybe hooked up with a good amount of people, but...
0: Yeah, how promiscuous was this guy? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I tend to agree. I, I tend to draw the line. at. I, I am for small pollen grand personally, but of course I can't sit here with extreme confidence.
1: And of uh, course, you know, I also wonder how much people can kind have of descended not from Dunk through Nan or through someone else, but dunk's kid with daella like yeah it, the things could have split off from just one line like dunk could have had one child but multiple of these people could have been descended from that one line
2: yeah it could go the other direction also dunk's father could have had a kid yes. with someone else who then had a kid with someone else who
0: was in gren's grandfather yeah, uh-huh. that, that could be how we get Grand's mom but the nan one probably had to happen though that would probably have to be direct
1: yeah, yeah, for Hodor and Nan, for sure. I, I, that's why I feel so much more confident about the idea of it being Hodor. Yeah,
0: me too. Yeah, there's multiple examples for that one. But yeah, but like you say, Gregor, Sandor, it's mostly just, they're big. And the thematic connections, both having the injured face, the knighthood stuff. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that's enough. Okay, uh, let's talk about shields again. Just for a minute, I looked up a few things. In addition to what we learned, spruce and fir as well as pine and oak get used a lot. Mahogany. I wonder about mahogany and cherry. And the reason for mahogany and cherry to be one is more like decorative woods. But really the the reason they're in here is because I made up another rhyme and so did Archmaster Rennie. And those are the two woods we used. But also the really the way it is with shields is most, most shields are just made from the woods that people could find or around. Like the best wood that was available. Like you may have four or five types of wood available. The one that's the lightest and toughest out of those five. But Another thing to keep in mind is Dunk is huge. Yeah, of course, you talk about it all the time, but that's why he uses an oak shield. Most people don't use those big heckin' shields because they can't handle it. Dunk's mm-hmm. experience with shields is not exactly typical. Here's a, a rhyme for fur. My protection's made of fur. Hamilton needed one versus burr. <laughs> Archmaester Rennie says nothing keeps foes off of me as well as my mahogany. Uh, the '80s uh, hair metal band Warrant uh, entered one. It's my cherry shield, stops all the weapons like a wood force field. <laughs> uh, Tyrion uses one of ironwood in the Battle of the Green Fork, and he's mounted. So, like, when you're mounted, you can you can rest it <laughs> when you're you know like in between you know, running into somebody or whatever you're doing. But it was a really beefy one. It was, it had studded and heavy and he was like, oh, this is heavy. You mentioned Braun and Servardus earlier, Sean, and that's pretty relevant here. Braun was offered a shield and he's like, nah, he didn't use one in that fight at all. And Sir Vardis had a monstrous shield, heavy oak with iron studs. And if you recall as well, that's the one blow he landed. Vardis was mostly just missing and missing and missing, but he, he, he got Braun in the face with a shield strike that broke a tooth and almost knocked him off his feet. It was like the one time he actually got in a solid blow there. Yep. You can imagine a shield would
2: be more valuable in certain scenarios, like in a chaotic battle yeah. where someone might blindside you with some attack or arrows might be flying by or if you're jousting, right? But if you're just going to fight someone hand-to-hand, I can imagine not wanting the shield necessarily.
0: Yeah, and you know what else is interesting about it is we do not know that much about how shields were used. Like, we make a lot of assumptions, like a lot of TV shows and medieval movies or whatever. they just people just blocking weapons, which, of course, they're doing something like that. But the way they're used as a weapon, the angles they're used, like, the that that's a mystery. Just like a lot of medieval combat, like how people would use their lances and swords and, and things like that. A lot of that is still somewhat mysterious because it's not like there's footage, <laughs> you know, Yeah, we have it, people draw pictures of it, but there's snails in the margins. So what does that tell us? I mean, <laughs> yeah, all the footage got lost with the library of Alexandria. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> we would have had all that. It but... really hurts. <laughs> so here's a parallel, sticking with Braun. Here's a parallel that we could have brought up during the hedge night, but we didn't. It's Braun fighting Sir Balman Birch. Remember when Balman Birch, Cersei's like trying to sneakily tell Balman to like take out Braun and he's just not getting it. He's like, it would be unfortunate if he had a mishap. And, and, and Bal- Birch is like, a mortal mishap. And she's like, yeah. Jeez, <laughs> like, man, are you? <laughs> so here's, what, here's how the, the exchange goes.
1: He is no true knight, Ser Bauman said.
0: No, Cersei smiled all for him.
2: And you are a man who would know true knighthood. I remember watching you joust and which
0: tournament was it where you fought so brilliantly, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cersei literally said things like hunting accident. Like she was thinking of what happened to what she did to Robert, basically. She even mentions a boar <laughs> after the fact. And it's so funny. Birch challenges Braun to a joust and Cersei says, you're telling me Sir Bauman challenged Bronn to single combat? <laughs> it's so funny. And Bronn, what does Bronn do? He does what Arian did to Harold Harding or Humphrey Harding. Harold Harding is Harry the heir, who we're also going to talk about in a minute, uh, causing a similar result. Bauman's legs are broken, and Bronn uses it as an opportunity to, to wring a confession out of him, like, Cersei, you know, who made you do this? And she, he's like, Cersei. Circy. And Cersei's like, oh, great. Great. Good job. <laughs> and then Bron stabbed him in the eye, which so Arian did that to Harold Hart, to Humphrey Harding. I cannot stop saying Harold, who also broke a leg. But of course, he <laughs> got up and kept fighting later because he's amazing. But this guy, Bauman, was apparently amazing when he was younger. This guy's much older now. He's like in his 50s or 60s and not the warrior he once was. But Cersei's plan was, was about as good as uh, Peak and. Yeah.
2: Had all it or mostly because they're on, damn on,
0: She had some decent ideas, but she just gave the, handed them off to very poor operatives. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to give this job to an idiot. You know,
2: she thought that her good ideas would just be enough. Yes. Right. Yeah, It'll all work out. Cause it's
0: my good idea. A monkey could follow this plan. No, no <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I wonder about this, too. Like, that looks silly now. In retrospect, it's like, Braun, you challenged Braun to single combat? That looks That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, like, 10 years from now, like 10 years after Dunk's trial, or so at some point, Dunk becomes famous, right? At some point, you look around and Dunk is famous. I don't know exactly when that year is, what, when Dunk's legend is to the point where almost everyone has heard of him. But people are going to be looking back like, wait a minute. Arian could have just had you executed, but he chose to fight you instead. (laughs) (laughs) You, the Kingsguard Knight, the Duncan, the Tall, you looked like that back then. You were this big back then, weren't you? Like, yeah. Yep. I like it. Nice parallels there. Obviously, Arian doesn't end up with broken legs, but he is forced to withdraw his accusation. Just like uh, Bauman is forced to give up his conspirators and Dunk wants to take out Arian's eye like (laughs) Braun does. Mm -hmm. And that uh, brings us to another parallel or at least related topic, not a parallel, a related topic, the concept of naming your horses and the way that they talked about that with the peasants and how that was going to make them sad. They were sending these people to their death and this concept of attachment versus commodity Stefan B flick commenter had a really nice roundup of similar conceptions of that like knights like knights being ordered to kill cats right consider ned and lady right ned killing lady yeah. or all every single unsullied having to kill a dog at the end of their training and just how awful that all is maybe we shouldn't talk about this <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> But wow. And then and then Dunk tells Egg not to be superior, not to like look down on people. And and how that is brings us back to John and Eamon, Egg's brother, Eamon telling John that, or maybe um the blacksmith who's like, look, John, you you're a bully. He's calling John's like, I'm a bully. And when he explains it to him, he's like, Yeah, you are a bully. You didn't, you just beat up those lowborn kids who Never had it, you know, never had training. You just looked down on them and it's like, yeah, that's a really good connection. So I just was gave you a lot to, Donald, to work with there, Sean. Donald Noy. I'm sorry?
2: What was the name of that blacksmith? Donald?
0: Yeah, Donald Noy, yeah. Donald Noy. Yeah, yes. That's a great character, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> good father figure. So that's a really that's a really interesting theme, I suppose, just throughout the the story. Um, like living beings, uh, classism, like you can't think of the lowest born people in a society like this are treated worse than animals, right? Like some of these war horses and pets have much better lives from a, like the way they're like available food and shelter, right?
2: In a way, although there's more to life than food and shelter, that's true. People in jail, maybe have food and shelter, but they're not being treated that well.
0: Good point. Good point. Um, yeah, that's true. It does take, uh, not to
2: take away from your point. No, you're right. That's a good
0: counter (laughs) counter example for sure. Um, it's maybe horses just being stored
2: in stables is pretty miserable, you know what I mean?: <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stefan B also asked if we had any additional thoughts on Dorn uh, having gone through the mystery night and considered his you know, Dunk's thoughts on Dorn and his time on Dorn, and whether we think he's going to go back, anything like that. Um, I do question whether he'll ever go back to Dorn. I feel like he probably will, but it's also kind of hard to think about when, given what we know about Duncan Ed going forward. And all the places George wants them to go—is—is is there time to to do that again? Do you have any any expectations there or hopes for that, or any other places you really want to see them go? If if not Dorne,
2: I I, I kind of want to see them go everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of hope and expect that they'll go to Winterfell, maybe the Wall. I I don't know. I I guess I sort of expect them to go back to, to Dorne, but not necessarily. A, a couple things is you know you know Martin had. I don't know, several more books planned for this, which allows for several more locations. But I, one, I, we're probably not going to get all of them. No, and, <laughs> and so I don't know what are the most likely or what he would think is most important to get into writing. Well, let me interrupt what you what just I for a second here. Want, just, but,
0: just for a second, because something we're going to talk about a little later is the fact that even if George doesn't finish them, the chance is pretty strong that they will still happen without him because of hbo um we'll get into the details of that so let's don't let that distract you from the possibilities um because someone else might do it even if george doesn't even he maybe just gives them an outline or they just like well where else can we have them go so it's still it's maybe wider open than a lot of you all this isn't just for sean but a lot of you out there thinking about this keep that in mind that this this will continue uh one way or another most likely in fact, it's almost certain he does have an outline, right?
2: He almost certainly has some basic plot points and intentions and locations for different characters and happenings. Um, Definitely, yeah. So maybe not outline, maybe has
0: notes or something. Yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if
2: outline's the exact right phrase, but sure. uh, the, the idea of what an outline is probably exists somewhere. But anyway, so uh, I don't know. I, I think that you know the the. Maybe just because they've planted that seed a few times, Winter and and also it's kind of a location we're already sort of familiar with. Winterfell is a one that I expect and hope for more so than any other. Mm-hmm. But Doran would would definitely be interesting. It, 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 but as much as the locations themselves, I think about like the motivations for going there or what might come from it. Mm. And, what about going back to
0: Flea Bottom? Have you thought about that? Dunk would maybe want. Well,
2: yeah, that's was is a particularly interesting one because he's almost certainly going king's landing yeah you right? think you have like to yeah right how could he not king's yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh and and while he's there you would think he would visit flea bottom, but he definitely doesn't neither he or a don't have some sort of like uh overhaul that saves the people of flea bottom like it's still a miserable yeah. place uh generations later so
0: that's true yeah clearly whatever if they did anything it was undone <laughs> or yeah. it was worse Oof.
2: yeah maybe fleetet albums even worse
0: yeah <laughs> it was even worse than it is now this is yeah this actually looks this is the bar was raised this is, it looks bad but this is actually <laughs>
2: an improvement it is neat to think though about the different sort of how how George gets to play with genres yeah you know and so maybe Dorn could be another westernish feel oh, uh, yeah. maybe I wonder if he would maybe have some Lawrence of Arabia parallels he would pull in there. And in Flea Bottom, I wonder if he might make it a filmed war, Mm. like detective sort of stories. It'd be hard for Dunk to be a detective though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We already talked about how he's kind of like a guy snooping around a corner, like (laughs) (laughs) slyly asking a bartender if someone's seen something. It's like, yeah, Dunk, we know who you are.
0: (laughs) He could just like
1: paint himself like a castle wall. (laughs)
0: Just blend into the wall. <laughs> it's like I don't see anything. That's just a pillar standing there. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, so we're about halfway through. Let me give a sh- a shout out and a suggestion. Thanks to all of you all who have stuck with us throughout all of Duncan Egg. Extra shout out for those of you who are regulars on the live streams. We really appreciate your presence, your thoughts, your takes. And just uh, having uh, people live is just, it's like a party, you know, it feels like uh, y'all are giving us your time and having a good time with it too. So everybody wins. Also, we, uh, if you are rereading or looking for something to read, something I've been enjoying a lot of lately, off and on, I do this is do a lot of chores while listening to audiobooks or podcasts. I kind of go in cycles. You know, last year, I was really big into podcasts. This year, I've been more into audiobooks. Most like most of uh, that is re listening to Song of Ice and Fire, re listening to Dunkin' Egg, but also re listening to some of my other favorite series. I recommend checking out Audible. They have two free downloads, or uh, sorry, one free download for uh, a subscription. You can sign up and not pay anything and get a free audiobook or two. Two free downloads. You can get The World of Ice and Fire, which we'll be doing in a few months. You can get Dunkin' Egg. You can get hear, uh, Harry Lloyd. Really awesome. Don't you get one a month also? Yeah, you get one a month with your subscription, which is a pretty good pace. One audiobook a month is, you know, obviously could easily go through more than one a month, but uh, I like that pace and that works for me pretty well. I've been doing a lot of work in our basement, re kind of cleaning up and rearranging, and I've um, been listening to The Expanse. I've read The Expanse, but I hadn't listened to it currently on book five in our group reread happening on the discord and i'm really enjoying it my brain kind of registers differently things that you process visually than you hear personally i think i process better visually but i think the second time through hearing it is better than a second look through you know Um, but your mileage may vary also even if visual is better, you can't do you can't read a book
2: while you vacuum. Yeah, like, you know, like totally it, true. It, it might be not as good, but it's still more efficient use of your time. You're
0: absolutely right. You're totally right. So that is uh, that's the advantage of audio entertainment is you can do other things with it. You can kind of it can kind of go with you as you're going through your day. You're driving around doing chores. The book stays with you. <laughs> so go to our website. There's a link there to sign up and start enjoying your. Favorites that way. They have the Tao of Pooh on uh, Audible, by the way. Yeah, I do. I really like that book. That was a very mm-hmm. uh, it affected me, shall we say? Yeah,
2: yeah. I was going to say that exact thing. It had, it had a
0: little transformation of my mentality about the world, my personality, even. It, it's it's very much what Tyrion says to John. The the gist of the Tao of Pooh is somewhat similar to what Tyrion says to John about just be what you are. You know, don't, don't try to be something else. Like you're happiest as yourself (laughs) you know it's like poo is poo he's very simple Mm -hmm. but that's what makes him happy all the time and this is very off topic but hey Mm -hmm. we managed to relate it to uh, a song of ice fire and the life so good enough right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah cool all right let's talk about the castle of snow this uh we were we had a a request to discuss the comparisons between white walls and sansa's snow Winterfell and the tourney of winged knights compared to white walls as well Uh, And I didn't want to do that one on the fly because it's a good enough topic that I wanted to do a little bit of extra thinking and writing about. So let's start off with a little quote. Dunk turned.
2: John the Fiddler stood behind him, smiling in his silk and gold cloth. What's made of snow? The castle. All that white stone in the moonlight. Have you ever been north of the neck, sir? Duncan, I'm told it snows there even in the summer. Have you ever seen
0: the wall? So... What's neat about that is that, yeah, Sansa's Snow Winterfell is made out of snow. You have this comparison. You have a lot of castles starting to look like snow when we get to the winds of winter, though. Like, snow is mm. covering them. So almost, you could say that about almost any castle when it's covered in snow, is that it looks like a snow castle. So that's a kind of neat, but it's, it's more of a surface-level comparison. There might be some more takes there, but I'm more interested in the comparison of the tournaments. A couple of, first of all, just as, a a slight a, a slight note about the absurdity of cast, some of these castles some would say okay so white walls you may have remembered that white walls is made from marble hauled from the vale right fancy vale marble right but you might think oh is it the same marble that the that the eerie is made out of that would be a fair and reasonable gas. But you'd be wrong. (laughs) Because the Erie (laughs) didn't like, the guy who made the Erie was Roland Aaron, and he didn't like the local stuff either. So he got his marble from Tarth. So (laughs) the Erie is not made with marble from local, uh, from the Vale. And White Walls is, which is so. (laughs) just, I don't know. It's all very convoluted. By the way, when you think about what it takes to move all that—a castle's
2: rock, worth of marble—it's god. Yeah. Like it's sort of a mystery still how they made Stonehenge. <laughs> they, they've they have found like spots quarries where it came from, like all across England, yeah, or, or you know Britain even. And uh, they, they don't understand how they moved it. They don't understand how they got all that huge wood. Or, yeah, or they have fe- they have theories, but
0: they just like shields yeah. and how they use shields and swords. They're not entirely certain. like, well, clearly there was some blocking and some cutting and but um, beyond that, I'm uh, not really sure. It's like tons and tons of weight, you know, like they didn't have <laughs>
2: tractors or <laughs> yeah. They didn't have trigonometry, you know, what I mean?
0: like, <laughs> they may have had some sort of some version of it. They may have had a, you know, basic understanding. I don't know. Yeah, but it's it is fascinating. There's lots of interesting videos of people figuring out how to move things without without advanced tools and it's awesome. Humans are clever. Humans are clever. Yeah. Uh, so this is the relating the tourney of the Winged Knights to this tournament. So the Winged Knight tournament isn't outwardly staged for Sansa's benefit directly, but that is the, the sneaky intent, right? Like the, the goal, one of Littlefinger's goals is to reveal her, right? Uh, and have everyone be like, yeah, we're going to help you take your kingdom back, you know, and marry Aerie the heir. Like that's kind of similar to revealing Damon II as this big hero, hero at a tournament. There's no marriage involved in that one. But it's like, instead of an egg hatching, we have a wolf is born, right? They even both have dyed hair and they're pretending to be lowborn, mm-hmm. you know? Neither of them are, do a very good job of pretending to be lowborn, but... <laughs> well, actually, Sansa doesn't pretend to be lowborn. She pretends to be a bastard, but... Not baseborn, bastardborn. Yeah. <laughs> so, both of these parties are extremely lavish. Sansa makes herself look really good. Damon makes himself look really good. Obviously, in White Walls, there's match fixing. In our in our Lane Wins of Winter uh, review with Radio Westeros, we discussed that it's almost certainly going to happen there, too. For one thing, it's discussed. Sean, you may remember... You may, um, some of this may be... You haven't read the Wins of Winter chapters, have you? I've read a few
2: of them, but I don't think I've read all of okay. them. I didn't know there wasn't a Lane one, Ooh. so I haven't read it.
0: Okay, well, that's neat. That's cool. So, one... Uh, One thing that happens is Airy the Air is in the possession of Royce, Bronze Ron Joyce, who was one of the few lords that's just not having little fingers maneuvering, right? And there there were some people that were surprised that he even let Harry attend the tournament. And he's like, well, you can't, like, it's kind of dishonoring him by not letting him come to the tournament at all. You got to, like, let him get in the mix and meet the other lords. It's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's a networking opportunity. And the young guy's like, and besides, there's no chance he's going to win a spot, one of the eight, because it's a, it's a tournament to decide who's going to be Sweet Robin's protectors. It's a tournament of 64 where the top eight are winners. So they're like, ah, there's no chance he's going to win. He's not very good. And they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what do we just see happen here with the guy they were trying to make a guy who isn't very good win the whole thing. Right, and this is Littlefinger we're talking about. Of course, there's bribery going on. Yeah, like, manipulated pairings. And, yeah. yeah, so it's it's like <laughs> you know it's going to happen. Like is the specifics, I don't know, but something absolutely. It, we even have the Harding connection here. We have Humphrey Harding, who I couldn't not. I couldn't stop calling him Harry Harding, and we actually do have Harry Harding, who is Harry the heir, in this spot. Uh, of course, these guys are kind of opposites in their ability, but. Very much, and also opposites in there were like standing. Humphrey Harding was not super uh, highly regarded as a, a noble. He was an incredible warrior, whereas Harold Harding, through this twist of bloodlines and lots of errand deaths, is actually heir, Sweet Robin's heir. Uh, we also have uh, Cockshaw accusing Dunk of stealing Damon, and Sweet Robin accuses Harold of stealing Sansa <laughs> from him because he wants to marry Sansa. Well, Elaine. <laughs>
2: You know, by the way, I just just my mind is spinning on this now. The the idea of a tournament of sixty four, yeah, <laughs> rigging that for someone to win, you'd have to rig eight rounds, right? That's a lot uh, of rigging, yeah. Sixteen, maybe six rounds. Anyway, point is that in the last couple rounds, it's you're going to be paired up against other people who are definitely really good. But going from sixty four to eight, oh, actually, it's, it's, only only three, three it's only three rounds. It's only three rounds. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And when you're only going to eight, it's only three rounds. If you had to get to a single winner, you have to go farther against tougher people. But it's a little, you can get a little bit more lucky or believable rigs, if you will, if you only have to go three rounds worth. Good call. Yeah.
0: Now, remember what happens at White Walls is Blood Raven eventually surrounds them and they're kind of unaware of it. They're sort of thinking they're ahead of the game. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. here in the Vale, winter is surrounding them. It's very cold instead of very hot because remember, there's a very hot day uh, when the tournament happens. And they likewise have no idea that the others are the real threat that's out there, uh, which is a little bit of a connection. I was really sad. I went to I went back to that chapter and was like, fog, mist, nothing. I was like, oh man, I wish there'd been some fog or some haze. <laughs> draw that comparison. I was really, I was kind of expecting it to be there, but no. It's interesting too. Maybe someone is plant. Uh, someone has had a dream of this. I wonder if Brand is sees this coming. You know, just as. Uh, the dream of of Damon II, dreaming of himself. That would be another little parallel here, but eh, I don't know. From our friend Virginie, she points out that at White Walls, you have Kyle the Cat and at the tournament of Wing Knights, you have Sir Shadrick the Mad Mouse. (laughs) So you have Cat and Mouse and uh, they're both redheads. (laughs) So that's cool. Sticking with the color theme, Patrick Sand suggests instead of the Black Wedding or the Black Tournament, As you know, as a play on the red wedding, it's the brown wedding, which (laughs) yeah, I like that. Good call, Patrick Sand. I like that. (laughs) Okay, a few, okay, a couple super chats here. We got Deborah Lynch says, My Mondays will feel a bit hollow until VRR returns. I hope that everyone indulges in a pile of good books until we meet again. Well said, Deborah. Well said.
1: Uh, I was mentioning all the good movies and movies. Yes, totally. (laughs) I mentioned in the chat that after the Expanse reread ends, we are thinking. I don't know that Aziz will be part of it, but on the Discord server, we're going to read at least the first one or two um, wild cards books.
0: Right on. Yeah. So get involved, folks, or at least prepare to get involved.
1: Yeah, we'll be starting at the beginning of December because that's once the Expanse reread ends. So cool. I'll be letting y'all know.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mages says, Did Dunk becoming a member of the Guard make him officially a knight, even if his status was dubious before? I don't really, I don't think so, but I'm not sure if there's like a an all like a all catch all when you get the white cloak. But I, I mean,
1: isn't it all just you know in the eyes of the beholder and all that? Like everyone in the world thinks of Dunk as a knight. He's a knight. Yeah. Like you become a knight, a, a king's guard, then everyone thinks of you as a knight. Yeah, unless
0: you're Sandor, saying no way, I'm not. Yeah, a knight. true. But, yeah, unless but, you but declare it. That? Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I, it's part of my reason for... I mean, it, it's hard to argue if, if Martin really said Dunk wasn't knighted by Arlen or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but Dunk thinks of himself as a knight over and over again, especially after the first book. Especially after the first book. He just thinks of himself as being a knight. So. Uh, I, I, I think maybe winning a trial by combat against the prince,
0: like that might qualify you as being a knight. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah that's that's a good take too well said Sean um gaming with this guy says I think egg will knight him yeah I think that might be there's a chance maybe Duncan tells egg on, on the slides like you need to knight me somehow you know like arena I mean like like and how some married couples renew their vows Doug <laughs> be like I need to renew my knighthood vows when actually it's not a renewal it's a newel but if he you know spins it that way but yeah there's we're all very curious how this is going to play out, but uh, there's some good theories out there, but it's not, not not one we can nail down for certain.
2: By the way, another another little thought I just had: how about a prince? assigning another prince to you as a squire. Mm. Does that make you a knight? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) How many people who aren't knights have princes (laughs) assigned to them as squires? (laughs) It's got to be like an automatic promotion involved in there somehow. (laughs) You're in charge of all these tanks and helicopters and 10,000 troops. Uh, Am I I an officer in the army? (laughs) Well, you're in charge of all these tanks and troops.
0: I think you're an officer in the army. (laughs) Uh, Yassin Bouftas says a young Eamon POV living in Old Town studying at the Citadel would be fun yeah it'd be kind of hard for that to relate directly to Dunkin' Egg unless they go to Old Town but like maybe you could have like a, a few minutes of Eamon and then it's like a, it's like a prologue to a Dunkin' Egg tale and then you could go on uh, you know to set something else up for for. adventure it holds adventure up with into. all of our
1: other maester prologues
0: yeah you're oh, right oh nice. that's a yeah. great call we do have a lot of those um, so, I, I did make a small mistake. Guilty Undertaker and Richard Seymour caught it. Young Griff does appear in Danny's House of the Undying Vision. The Mummer's Dragon, the cloth dragon on poles, is almost certainly fake. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Good catch, y'all. I blanked out on that one. So, yeah. So, he is explicitly in the visions as a fake, though. So, that's kind of <laughs> like how, how sure are we that that's
2: him? I, I don't have to We're not 100% my brain like
0: sure, you. but it's pretty clear. It's hard to imagine it being someone else. Like there it's like who else could this cloth dragon on poles be? Who else could the mummer's dragon be? Varus' dragon. Varus is the mummer we know best. You know what I mean? It's almost like process of elimination allows you to narrow it down to only one candidate.
1: Yeah, you know? the only other option, and I don't really truly think of it as an option, is it actually being some sort of dragon. Yeah,
0: like an actual dragon, yeah. Is which
1: actually being related to that, but I don't think so. But there's no other character that it could be.
0: Yeah. Okay. Like, like the other person who could ride a dragon is like Euron but I don't think he's going to try to convince everyone he's a Targaryen you know what I mean like that seems eh. so yeah um, but that might be something worth revisiting but it, it's kind of uh, we, we, t- we somewhat take it for granted given the, the lack of other options I see that Nina points out that Tyrion was assigned a squire yeah really highborn people, people knight, do get so. uh, squires because yeah. they dress for battle even if they're not knights you know that's a good point so really highborn people will have squires even if they're not knights, uh, but only really highborn people, <laughs> only lords and above, <laughs> I would think. Follow-up question from Herbs to Magus. The reason I asked is because they described joining the Kingsguard as a ceremony involved anointing with oils. Seems like another knighting ceremony, but that's why I asked. Yeah. Like knighthood, these things aren't guaranteed to happen, right? Like uh, with Dunk, it'll probably be a ceremony because th- there's n- there's not a lot of reason to think he'll get a battlefield promotion, but there's, Like we discussed, uh, Sean, with that before, uh, people get, you know, in the military, you're supposed to have like a formal ceremony, but people get promoted in combat sometimes, and that's just, you know, like in the line of duty, like in the middle of a battle. So, uh, and that's definitely happens too. So Erbsta makes a good point that if that ceremony counts, if they have this anointing ceremony for the Kingsguard, which is very similar to a knighting ceremony, I don't know, will Dunk feel like that's enough or, yeah. (laughs) I also tried
2: to research what or if there was any sort of standard procedure, and I couldn't find like in this world of vice and fire. I mean, in the real world, there's not any kind of standard procedure in <laughs> either. But I couldn't find anything. There's a few moments of someone being knighted or discussion of it, but it's different in each scenario, mm. and it's there's definitely not any kind of consistent standards.
0: Mm. Nina also says bright and. Dark could be a nod to red and black. Red and black, if it said red and black, it would be too Ooh, obvious because yeah. bright and red is kind of bright and dark is black. So, yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Koi Vanazi says one thing to remember about Makar's resentment is that he was the anvil. He was there for the whole battle of the red grass field. He rallied, formed a shield wall. His brother showed up late and got the glory. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> fair point. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> This doesn't eliminate the possibility of, you know, him having dreams or what have you, but it does certainly reinforce that his regular resentment is definitely there. It, we could have multiple types of resentment or other things going on. We could have dreams and resentment, but there's no doubt the resentment has a lot of real reasons. <laughs> Yassin with another really good point here. Since every Targaryen child learns about Daenerys the Dreamer, uh, even the most skeptic of them would tend to believe in one way or another the power of dreams, at least that it could be powerful. That's a great point because the Targaryens only exist today because Daenerys the Dreamer's dreams were listened to by her, by Aenar the Exile, her father. So that's pretty good. That's very good. Um, it would be hard for a young Targaryen to be like, ah, dreams, what good are they? <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if they're not having them. So. Even their regular dreams, like if they just have regular old dreams, like we all have, they might think, might be more likely to believe in them because so many of their ancestors and, and brothers and sisters have had ones that really did come true. What would that do to you? Yeah, what, would you what would it do if you just like, is that, is that dream going to come true? Like, how do you identify a dragon dream versus a regular dream, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it hotter in there? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: wake up with your head being You warm. wake up sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you just know it. You just know it. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I think it definitely is just how vivid it is.
0: Grizzly Meadows points out also some of the most famous knights were not knights, like Sir of the Mirror Shield. And that's, yeah, because there was a lot of, like, retrofitting knighthood onto ancient figures who predate knighthood. <laughs> like Sir One of the Mirror yeah, Shield existed yeah. before knights came to Westeros, but he is commonly given that distinction. So that's a very good point as well. You have to keep in mind the historical um, idiosyncrasies like that one. You know, something in the
2: chat from last week, I, I go back and try to look at the chats and the comments on YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, Gwinniver Greenstone pointed out something that, we, that, that came up that she clarified. The egg does say, kill him, kill him. He's right there. The dunk. Instead of... When he's talking oh, Arian. But every other time, every other fight, he says, get
0: him, get him, he's right there. Uh, So it really has it for Arian. Yeah, I can understand him too, huh? (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. Here's a, that's a great take. Good job going for your greenstones. Here's a great take by Reaver14 from YouTube. Trial by seven as a way for the Faith or someone to get around single combat against the mountain in mm. uh, with Cersei, you know, having her as her champion. That's a great or him as her champion. Uh, that's a great idea because one thing we'd love to do with these historical uh, events is try to see if George is going to reuse them or if this is like a playground, like a sandbox to, to work out what he's going to do in the main series. And uh, so we've come up with ideas for how another great council could happen, how, you know, another dance of the dragons could happen, things like that. We don't have an example of trial by seven, but this is a fantastic idea. Who wants to fight the mountain in a trial by combat? Well, nobody. But if it's seven on seven and you got like religious folk, the faithful believe that the gods are going to protect them, you know, especially if it's, you know, the trial by seven is meant to be a religious thing. It gets the God's attention, supposedly. That's pretty cool.
2: I was thinking about the idea, because again, Summerhall is sort of a mystery in general. And a little bit more to me, I'm learning more about it even being a thing at all, you know. Mm. and so some of the context of it, I actually read a little section of World of Ice and Fire. Nice. Uh, that egg, egg's sons or kids even. So egg married out of love, yeah. as opposed to some sort of political arrangement, right? Right. And his, but that was before there was any real chance of him being killed. Yeah, that, there was he no sort exactly. of got away with that, yeah. right?
1: But for his son kids
2: you know, what, were already, you know, staged. They were part of the political scene. Right, they were right? expected to He had to them mean, betrothed to, to different houses for the sake of, you know, alliances and politics and stability of the realm and everything. But his kids, just like him, wanted to marry out of love. They weren't down with these arrangements that they didn't have anything to do with. They fell in love with people, wanted to get married. And even... Uh, abdicated his oldest son, abdicated the throne even rather than yeah. have to go through with some betrothed. So, Egg, who is already trying to make big changes to society to give more rights to the average person, ostensibly at the expense of the powers of the nobles. And now these noble houses are being slighted, even if they maybe understand it's that Egg doesn't have control over his kids' loves or he thinks they think he, he should have. Even if they're understanding, which they aren't necessarily, it's still upsetting and disruptive to their plans and their alliances and everything, right? So Barris and Selmi describes this marriage of love. He's talking about how Dar- uh Dario is dangerous mm-hmm. to Danny. Yeah. And to everyone. That really everyone's probably better off. If Dario just gets executed by yeah. <laughs> whatever, right? Uh and Danny will be upset, but they won't be upset at us, they'll be upset at the young guy, right? So and and he compares that to the troubles of marriage out of love from Aegon's kids and how that all ended in a tragedy at Summerhall. And that got me to thinking, one, we've talked a lot about the idea of how the, the, the seeds have been planted for Egg to try to hatch these dragons. But we see extra motivation for it, too. If he had these grand plans for the realm, but instead he's barely holding on to control of the realm, right? Mm. He may feel extra motivated to hatch these dragons. Well, guess what? Some people might feel extra motivated to stop him from hatching these dragons. Yeah. Mm. There may have been, I wonder, some sort of sabotage at this event. Think how weird it is. How many people in Blackwater Bay, which had a massive amount of wildfire, how many people escaped that? How many people escaped wooden boats that were set on fire with, with green fire? Not many. <laughs> but but some did a right added, yeah how Davos, many people yeah. <laughs> escaped the wooden uh or the the stone castle with what with how much wildfire was there only a few yeah. it was as much wildfire at summer hall as they had it It seems weird that everyone would have died like well, that to be so fair, many people
1: there would be a far more people in blackwater bay so there right, just playing right. would have yeah, been battle, more people yeah. the, the like the proportion of people might have been the same it still might have been two percent of the people survive f-
0: summer halls the targaryen like palace
2: like i can definitely palace, see whatever. all kinds of reasons and explanations in every direction but it just does seem a little unusual to me that pretty much everyone died in this stone castle where there couldn't have been that much wildfire compared to other moments and so anyway it just made me wonder if that might have been more of a tragedy if someone barred the doors yeah
0: no it's, it's mean, absolutely possible i don't think someone barred the doors right. but i'm like specifically but i think you're right that there's a there's room for someone having done something and much That's like true. The the the
2: tournament or tournaments in general, but but specifically how it was sort of a guise for this rebellion. If someone this would have been a, a, a pretty known event, like the king and all the king's guard, all these yeah. people there to celebrate the birth of the. Mm-hmm. If someone wanted to plan some sort of uh, some sort of uh, and they didn't
0: like accident. egg. Yeah, you're right. Like egg, they did yeah. not like him. He was. Uh, and he they could have. Yeah.
2: Uh, there would have been the ability, maybe even to manipulate who was or wasn't present. And
0: yeah. like whether or not it happened as you're describing or something like this happened, you're absolutely right to, to note that there's a lot of powerful lords that would not want Egg to be able to have more power behind his pr- proposed yeah. reforms. So that's very true. Like, Tywin reversed a lot of his reforms after Egg's death, so.
1: I think there's two <laughs> things there. One, yeah, there's a lot of lords that would have been against him having more power, but there's also a lot of people that would have been against dragons.
0: That too. That may be Good even point. in general, yeah. yeah that that, that, which, that which might could, not could... have
1: cared about Egg's reforms. That might have even been pro-eggs reforms in a vacuum, but did not want dragons. Like
0: the maesters. Like yeah, there's this theory about the maesters. maesters would have wanted to sabotage it and they would have been well-placed yeah. to sabotage it. Yeah. If they wanted. Which is another thing, like even like when you have
2: a good leader, like even like modern times, we might want them to have XYZ ability. Mm. But sometimes you don't have a good leader and you got to be careful what ability you give the leaders because later on other people are going to get, you know, the egg might be great with the dragon, but are his kids and his kids' kids? These dragons are going to keep being around. Yeah. Anyway, it, all this was also sparking in my mind, the thoughts, especially with the perspective of, in the show, how Cersei blows up the Sept with Wildfire. That was sort of like a gathering of all these key enemies. I, you know, I wonder if that's a parallel. George might have set up this parallel with Summerhall to what might happen with the Sept and Marjorie and whoever all else, you know? Yeah.
0: Igor Proleko says, it seems to be a huge oversight that Targaryens do not have a court position of the Dream Interpreter interesting take. Uh, Yeah, they could have had something like that. Uh, Maybe they even such things existed in Valyria. The one reason I could see that comes to mind off the top of my head why they would not do that is they were really trying to not be Targaryens in terms of their religion. They were trying to adopt the seven. They were trying to be, yes, we worship the same gods as you as a way to make it all work. You know, we just conquered you, but we also worship the same gods as you. You know, that's a pretty common tactic, among conquerors is to adopt the religion of the locals to fit in better uh, to, 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 you know, so the gods aren't against you. <laughs> it's like if the people think the gods are against you, they may rise up against you. Huge oversights are also a pretty common tactic. Yes, huge oversights are, are realistic, <laughs> right? Like certain ones yeah. aren't, like you can't just have them. But yeah, it's nothing, yeah. But so I would think that maybe two, so two points there. One, that maybe just George should consider having that. Maybe it does exist or did exist, but maybe it doesn't exist because they, didn't want this uh anomaly this abomination this anti-seven thing going on
2: yeah just i can see a lot of reasons that that maybe it was there but not uh but more of a private or secret thing oh yeah they could Uh, keep
0: that under wraps maybe yeah yeah Mm
2: -hmm. or that maybe even someone was doing it that wasn't even official. Like some maester might have still been taking note of the dreams, even if it wasn't an official position or a job assigned to them. Or it might have been a, an official job assigned to someone, but not publicly. But most likely, it was just an oversight. There's probably it probably should have had all sorts of other positions in the council, as far as you know, <laughs> the analysis of tax rates and uh, <laughs> you know, insurance of justice and et cetera. Et cetera. But good points. Intelligence operatives, <laughs> communication channels, you know, on and
0: on. <laughs> Gray Waste Tim says, thinking on other parallels, the way Gorman Peake is treating Damon the second here is the same way Unwin Peak treated Aegon the third during his regency, sort of just telling him where to go, what to do, sort of dominating him and yeah, like controlling him. There's also parallels to John Connington's attempt to control Aegon the sixth. Yeah, he's a kind of very stern, very disciplinarian, you know, um, very much in charge. While they also unknowingly launched the sixth Blackfire Rebellion. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Good call. Uh, speaking of that, we're one of the planned live streams we have um, going forward, probably before the end of the year, will be on the Peak Uprising, which comes at the end of Makar's reign. So, that's going to be uh, later this year in real life and about 20 years after, 21 years after the events of the Mystery Night.
2: Do you have any scripted content? For 20, 21 years from now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. In real life? Not yet. (laughs) But we probably will. (laughs) Uh, Comment from Sophia regarding Blood Ravens ordering of people to stay on their lands rather than traveling to find food and water. And one problem that we didn't mention that she mentions is too many people going to the cities all at once is a big problem. Like, that's where people would go. They would go to the urban centers, population centers, because you're not just going to wander the countryside. What good's that? You know, (laughs) I remember trying to get Blood
2: Ravens some credit for you know trying to manage these issues. Yeah, trying to Uh, like big problems. Even in modern times, however much like I tend to be, is sort of like imagine you know like John Lennon says, imagine no borders. People should be able to go anywhere, anywhere they want, anytime. But there's still a certain reality when thousands of migrants show up at a city out of nowhere. Well, do we have enough food and water for those people? Where yeah. are they going to go to the bathroom? We need to have some sort of structure organization to deal with this yeah and even in modern times with airplanes and cell phones we have a hard time with that how the heck is blood Raven going to manage mass migrations during a drought?
0: Yeah no it's a good point yeah you're right to to, to look at that from a mul- multiple of angles and not just call him a monster for that because you're right there's a lot of there is a lot of additional suffering that comes if you don't Suffer a little bit, you'll suffer more. That kind of thing. uh Sir Roland de Stark says, "Love how Plum Raven says how the North is too is way too cold," and ends up a tree wizard in the coldest part of the North <laughs> 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 and on the wall. <laughs> before that, so yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that coming. We're hey, speaking of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Carla Harnack says, in reference to my extremely used copy of Legends 2, she says, if I saw that book in a used bookstore, I would buy it, even if I didn't know any of the authors, because it's obviously been well loved. Someone really liked that book. That says a lot about it. Yeah, that's looking at the bright side. That's a very maybe you would find a different copy of the same book. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna go mess up all my books right now, just so will buy them. <laughs> Speaking of buying books. Rolling Knight points out that George R. R. Martin says the Hedge Knight came about because he was offered money to be in Legends One, and it just kind of kicked off a different path for developing the backstory. Well, cool. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, we're glad that happened. We're glad. I mean, yeah, you need patronage to for art to happen. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. I mean, hey, that's how we are functioning here. Uh, we're not writing stories, but it's the same. You know, back end. You need to make a living in order to, to do these things. So that's cool. Great. Uh, I'm glad to, I didn't know that though. I mean, it makes sense. Of course, George wasn't doing that sort of thing for free. That's the, the other side of it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it definitely worked out. It gave, a, it really filled out the world. So the other question is like, how else would he have developed some of this backstory if he hadn't done it here? Would he have written, would the world of ice and fire have been written sooner? Or would he have just decided without this prompting that he needed something like this? and just looked for another way to do it. Maybe he would have just asked his publisher to put out some prequels. You know, I don't know. I mean, they would have probably been all over that because his books are selling, but <sighs> I'm not enough of an author. I mean, I'm not an author at all. I don't know how you'd go about doing that. I don't know what the alternates are. Maybe the books would just be larger <laughs> or we would just have less backstory. I don't know. Yeah. Probably that. We would probably just have less backstory, which would be a real tragedy backstory. We can't have less backstory. A couple more takes from uh, Igor P. Dwarves, the dwarves fondling a girl in the bed there and the bedding uh, scene is also reminiscent of the House of the Undying vision, which we've come back to again in these comments. House of the Undying has the dwarves um, mauling a woman and the woman is representative of Westeros. And we also have dwarves dancing in Euron's vision in the Forsaken, which we drew that connection also. So sort of a triangle of connections now. Ugh. That's pretty interesting. Also, we have uh, Bonnie, Prince Charles's mother, was the granddaughter, uh, granddaughter? granddaughter of Jan Sobeski, who was the leader of the Winged Hussars in the Battle of Vienna in 1683, which was the inspiration for the ride of the Rohirrim in Lord of the Rings. That's cool. Very cool. Of course, that's a reference to some of our discussions of Outlander and these other connections that started because of different questions that were asked in prior episodes also we talked about another comment on the western genre even Soviets participated in the western genre the ones which were not knockoffs are about their civil war the white sun of the desert comes to mind most readily but there were a slew of them with titles like bread gold and nagant revolver what (laughs) and who would pay for luck (laughs) those are great not quite <laughs> native speaker titles for <laughs> in english <laughs> love it but but yes blatantly western genre yes yes
2: yeah that was definitely uh, Kira kurosawa and uh, sergio leone were kind of going back and forth inspiring each other with their uh, western and samurai movies
0: oh okay nice yeah yeah that, made, that uh, yeah it does make a lot of sense and and we've seen those connections like in media elsewhere where it nods to Kurosawa and different styles of films that had like a Western feel to them yeah. or what have you.
2: Magnificent cool. Seven and the Seven Samurai are pretty much the same story. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. A couple comments about Baylor and Baylor's death. Cat Ovivas says Abraham Lincoln also died a similar way. The doctor tending to him is reported to have said that he had the brain of the president on his hands. Ooh, yikes. Yeah, I guess so. He was shot in the back of the head. That's what I guess that. Story checks. You shouldn't out.
2: have got involved in that trial by seven. <laughs> trial <of> seven.
0: <laughs> Is that what the play was about? <laughs> Abraham. Lincoln, what was the play? What was the play that Abraham Lincoln was seeing?
2: I don't know. It seems like a bit of trivia we should know. Yeah.
0: Nadia Storm comments on the our take regarding Baylor and JFK <laughs> and the the, the how oh, yeah. that was uh, maybe a similar or at least an influence. And she says, I can confirm that Catholics have pictures of JFK besides Jesus. beside Jesus. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> Sean's sabotage idea got a comment from Austin Flowers. Sprightly young president doesn't want to go to Vietnam. He suffers an accident. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Ah, the answer to the question of what play was Abraham Lincoln attending is Our American Cousin. A comedy? Oh, that's no one was laughing at the end. <laughs> 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 or during it wasn't the end i don't know it never got to the end yeah kieran mitchell says uh regarding Baylor's motivation Tancel being from dorn may have played a role in Baylor championing her because the dornish are uh new are being you know acclimated to the realm they're being brought in and a lot of people still view them as enemies the reach and the stormlands are still rife with anti-dornish sentiment and so and he's a half dornish man himself so he's standing up for Dornish people and saying, look, this is how it is now. Sending a message about the Crown's tolerance of violence towards the Dornish, even when it comes from his own brother. That's a really good take. I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. We know that we were kind of wondering what Baylor's angle was. Not that he had some sneaky reason, but we just couldn't fully suss out his motivation besides just being a good guy. And just being a good guy wasn't necessarily enough. It could be enough, but it wasn't necessarily enough. This makes a ton of sense. What do you think, Sean?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Bullseye, I think. (laughs) Quite a few notes left. Originally, we plan on talking about the future of Dunkin' Egg, but maybe what we'll have to do is just do one more episode um, in the future. Maybe that we can still have chef on that way. Yeah,
1: we could probably. That does sound like a really good idea that because we still want to have, you know, a a couple live streams um, during this break. So we could do another Dunkin' Egg talking about this with Stefan and all. Yeah,
0: that sounds like the way we should go. So we'll we'll call this part one of the final review. Well, call, well, we'll just call this the, <laughs> the, the the next episode will be future, Duncan, the future of Dunkin' Egg. That could be a standalone. We thought it would be part of this, but no. Because yeah, we still have half of our episode notes here left. <laughs> We're not even into that topic at all. I have a yeah. lot of notes on it. Nina has a lot of notes on it. Y'all have in, contributed a few comments as well. This will give Sean a little more time to think about some of this stuff as well. So. Folks, yeah, we'll do a little pivot here—a pivot. That I, makes I do remember info. one
2: time when I was first, we were first starting this, coming across an article discussing like the proposed titles that George had for future novels, and I remember how stirred I was on all that. But I almost had to like put it aside to just focus on what we were doing at the moment. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, unpacking to do just with the little hints that George has had about what he might do in the future with this story. Yeah,
0: yeah. I have a note from Nina here about eggs, egg, <laughs> white and green and swirly. It's got some similarity to the dragon egg of Prince Malor, who was the uh, ill-fated young second son of Aegon II, which was pale green with swirls of silver. That's maybe, you know, so it could be, you know, it might be the same. It might be a different one. But regardless, the fate of that egg, we're not sure what happened. Lady again, Lady Caswell. We got the Caswells coming up yet again. After the murder of Malor in her presence by the crowd, the crowd didn't know what was going on necessarily. It was a big riot of sorts. She sent the egg to Lord Hightower at Long Table in the hopes that it would assuage his wrath. Uh, it didn't. He took down Long Table, or rather Bitterbridge, pretty severely. Maybe it's, if this isn't the same egg, maybe it's Need to suggest maybe it's this from the same clutch because it's so close, um, and it could be maybe the same clutch that produced Moon Dancer, who was pale green with horns and and wing bones of pearl. So green and white, similar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that fits.
2: This does remind me of a question, by the way. Sure. Do we know what came of the eggs from Summer Hall? Were they would would wildfire destroy a dragon egg? Were they
0: recovered? Is there any kind of clues? That? We aren't sure, but we do know that they weren't all destroyed because the world of ice and fire says that Ares, even Aerys, the Mad King, had dragon eggs, but they were fossilized, uh, hmm. which is almost certainly where Danny got hers. Varys probably stole them and gave them to Illyrio. Is that what <laughs>
1: wildfire does? It fossilizes them?
0: <laughs> I guess maybe. maybe, but probably not. They probably even fossilized, they can still
2: hatch. I guess.
0: Like well, well, that's why what happened with Danny's eggs was so magical and, and wild, but it, they shouldn't mm. be able to, but they did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's not clear exactly, but it seems that, because we don't know when they became fossilized, it's not clear at what point that happened. Yeah. But I imagine the ones in Summer Hall were destroyed, because wildfire is awfully destructive, and these are not, those were not stone eggs, so these are just like biological material eggs, you know, like dragons are tough, but kind of dragon egg really biological material really resist wildfire eh, that's that's maybe a little too far for me but maybe we'll have to maybe we'll maybe we'll find out later The
2: idea of like what or why things might have gone down at summer hall and if that might be hint of other things to come
0: yeah i wonder if it's like a if like john and danny right like that could be an issue between them yeah um or uh, well, other characters. <laughs> There's other possibilities, yeah. certainly, but that's, that, that one comes to mind because you, you mentioned Dario and Danny, but I think Danny's strong enough to stay away from Dario in the long term, but she may have more passionate feelings for someone else. And, uh, you, and know. you know, that's another common theme. I, I've had this thought a lot of times about
2: s- stories of royalty, basically. Uh, a, a lot of sort of like costume dramas, just about some, some you know, rich girl who, who who can't marry the guy that she really wants to. And like on the surface, I always have a hard time feeling sorry for, you know, sympathetic for these characters and they have wealth and power. Like here, you know, like a lot of other people have it worse off than you. Like maybe you can't marry the person you love, but poor people can't marry who they will love also. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> uh, but almost every time I watch one of these movies, I'm like, Oh, that was actually pretty good. You know what I mean? Like hmm. a, uh so but uh you know i can see that that's a a sort of a theme that george touches on you know that it's sort of lonely at the top you know someone who ostensibly is wealthy and powerful or famous you know a queen or a king whatever but they still have a lot of limitations on their life they still aren't necessarily finding happiness even when they are a prince or the best knight or you know they think of all these characters who on the surface someone might want to be like think of sansa you know wants to marry the prince but when you get to know what these people's lives and personalities are really like it's not all really that great it's you not know, necessarily something that you want i mm-hmm. think
1: this is something that george could relate to more now more than he could have say when he wrote a game of thrones because a point. he's at the top and he is more lonely you can't you go to a convention and you can't just hang out
2: true that's an interesting thought. I wonder how that might, how if any of that might affect his writing or the angles or perspectives he has for these characters, just the way his life has changed in the past Ooh. since the last book. Yeah, I you mean know? he's
1: rich as can be now, and I'm sure it has made his life easier and happier in a m- bunch of ways. But he definitely has complained about how he just wants to be able to hang out with people sometimes.
2: Yeah, he's he has probably made his life more stressful in some
0: he, ways too. He he's yeah. like a lot of people who have said who have who have said the similar thing. It's like. Some people really like the fame, but a lot of people were like, "No, yeah, I'll, I'll keep the money, but you can take the fame back." I don't, I don't really want that. People <laughs> <laughs> are gonna find out what a messed up person I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Especially with all this money. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's not gonna slow. It's not gonna curb his worst instincts, right? Yeah. <laughs> Knowing you can do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Let's tease a few things that are coming rather than getting deep into them since we're going to save them for later. And this gives you a few of y'all opportunity to send us some additional questions or to to think about this a little more in advance. Uh, We're going to talk about the She-Wolves of Winterfell. uh, Lots of details of what's going on there. Try to figure out what the story is about. And then we're going to do the same for all the other stories uh, that are coming and or not coming, including guesses on the village hero. Nina's got a great idea for that one. We're going to go through all the Events that we know are part of Duncan Egg's life, major events in the realm that might be part of some of these stories. They might be inspirations for the, the reason these stories are cent- centered around these certain events, so et cetera.
1: All of you might want to take a look at the um, potential titles for these Duncan Egg books, but um, if you don't want to do that right the second, the other ones are The Self Sword, The King's Guard, The Champion, The Lord Commander.
0: And from there, who knows? So that's a, you know, obviously, even George has said he's not sure how many he wanted to eventually do. And that's why we've set aside some time to talk about the TV show as well, because if, if HBO is going to do it, then they'll probably add and expand and do all sorts of other things, and who knows? Or they won't do it at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Who knows? That's, at this point, who knows? We'll, so we'll, we'll save that for next time. What else do I have here? Well, some characters we're going to talk about, in addition to major events, We'll also get to talk about characters we hope we'll see. I mentioned Elena Targaryen just now, but there's characters like Tywin. Like Tywin's gonna be at court. For, Tywin is literally a cupbearer to egg <laughs> when he's a kid. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. All right, isn't that cool? And you got and who married who knights barrist and sell me Egg. Well, a King Egg on the fifth at that point. He's actually king by that point. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting characters that could appear on screen. Freaking Hoster Tully could appear, for example. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Blackfish probably be too young to appear, but even he's possible. Um, this would be much later. Um, this would be near the, near the Nine Penny Kings, which is the year after Egg dies. But still, lots of opportunities for some of these older characters or their fathers and mothers. It's really neatly wide open. We're going to talk about the Starks quite a bit because of the She-Wolves of Winterfell and all the different Stark characters and, and names. And in fact, there's a few new... Starks that George has added to the tree, sort of low key, that I only noticed in the last week. A couple new Brandons, (laughs) so we'll talk. We'll throw that in there as well. Uh, So yeah, lots of fun stuff to talk about. So it's not quite goodbye just yet, after all. False. You've heard of false starts. This is a false ending. (laughs) But hey, it's it's very much in line with George R. R. Martin, right? The tale has grown in the telling. The telling has grown in the telling, for us. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll belay that goodbye. Constantina Lebenza says, Hey everyone, regarding the drink discussion, as an EU member of the audience, I have become very curious what Mountain Dew tastes like. <laughs> is it hard to get a hold of in Europe? I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't think it's too hard to get a hold of.
1: It's banned. It's, it's been banned.
2: It's-, <laughs> it's too good. They're not worthy.
1: They don't have any mountains
2: there. You can only get hill dew there. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain Dew is too. <laughs> too much. it's just it's a soda you know it's like uh, in a way at least it's similar to Coca-cola or Pepsi or whatever but it's just a citrus flavor it's more of a yeah, someone you know, said it's sweet a picture, and carbonated but it's citrus someone said
1: picture sprite but with artificial citrus and a glow in the dark color Okay?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. one reason I like also mountain dew it's probably I don't know if it's known for this necessarily but but it has a, a huge variety of flavors, but they're most all citrusy. Different sorts of berry and orange and powder, watermelon, and et etc, etc., cetera. Et cetera. The, the main Mountain Dew is is a citrus, meant to be a orangish yeah, it's, citrus it's like flavor. a
0: sugary orange kind of, I guess. You
2: but but I, I really think it's closer to lime. It's not really orange Yeah, se, I feel like it's
0: more like Generic citrus. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. A little smoother than Sprite, I think is a little sharper. A lot more know. caffeine than Sprite. Yeah, for spray I think has zero caffeine. Oh yeah, you're right. Was, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but Mountain Dew is on par caffeine-wise with Coke or Dr Pepper or whatever. Grizzly
1: Meadow says the wildfire of soda.
0: <laughs> it does look like wildfire? <laughs> it, that is completely true. It looks like wildfire. <laughs> there is no question that if you're like, which soda looks like wildfire? Is not even a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kulnitsky sends a super chat. Says, I like your stream so much. Well, thank you, Kulnitsky, and we like doing them so much, and we're glad that that this one morphed the two. It's like a, a cell it's divided. <laughs> 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 so we will be back I, I won't say it's definitely next week we'll we'll work work that out but um because we got to check on Stefan. so he's available make sure he wants to be part of it and get our ducks in a row so to speak but sean i assume you'll participate as well um
2: i believe I, I would love to and i believe i'm open next weekend but you know again Cool. We'll coordinate. Well, we'll figure that out
0: offline, and we appreciate uh, everyone's um, coming out and listening and being supportive. And we're glad to uh, keep it going. So until next time, folks, you know what to do. Um, And let me say some thanks because I almost forgot. Sean, you going to grab a cat? (laughs) I get. I guess this won't be the last cat. Yeah, it won't be the last. The last showing, but thanks again to nina for her invaluable notes and discussion points thanks to our mods over on the history of westeros group for helping lead the discussion keeping it a, a nice clean and orderly place free of trolls and uh, people who aren't good at adding to the discussion uh thanks to michael clarfeld and his great website clardox.de for the maps you see behind as well as the video intro Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the Valar intro/outro music, and to Joey Townsend and Jesse Koval for the Regular West Westroads intro/outro music. Thanks to our engineer for providing excellent sound quality assistance. He says the next Wins of Winner chapter episode is really close. He's putting lots of effort into it. You know how it is; can't rush excellence. So we'll be excited when that drops. Check out our friends over at Here Be Dragons. They are discussing the newly dropped Star Wars Visions, which Shea and I have already watched and enjoyed very thoroughly.
1: Yeah, highly recommend. Highly recommend Visions.
0: Star Wars Visions is, uh, in case you're not aware, it's a produced by Disney, non-canon Star Wars tales made by Asian creators. Yeah, it's a bunch
1: of different anime studios, um, nine different shorts, about 15 to 21 minutes in length. Uh, And, oh, I can hear her... purr.
0: Yeah, purr really. Yeah, that's a strange sound.
1: Oh, she stopped. She stopped purring. (laughs) Oh, there we go.
2: Yeah, just the angle she's at the microphone. Oh, that was great. I could
0: feel her purring away. You got a purring. Where are you going, girl?
1: Oh, well, (laughs) we saw her. She's gone.
0: Purring makes for excellent ASMR, doesn't it? Okay, well, (laughs) thanks again, everyone. Thanks to the kitty for some purring as we make our way out of this episode. Uh, We'll see you all again soon, and you know what to do in the meantime. Valar, a re